Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Another episode of Let's Talk More Movies, the show where we try and talk about movies, but never talk about anything and everything else. I am your host, Michael Breslin. To my left is... Jan Carl. And to my right is, still filling in for Calm Heron... Dominic Phelan. And we also have a fourth... Ari. <laughs> <laughs> no surname needed. And also our live musician for the week... Yeah. I love a musician. Yeah, yet again, another fantastic performance. Incredible. incredible. Truly, truly devastating. Always, this always playing with his banjo, that boy. Yeah, Shan. What? Uh, will you be my best man to my one? Oh! oh! He's crapped this up! <laughs> nah, I'm right. <laughs> of course I will, like, oh, I'm getting almost only when I started. Of course I will, buddy! Oh, let's celebrate. I'm Thanks, not, let's not, celebrate. We have not, a drink, we're drinking now. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I'm devastated. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of thought, should I do in front of other people? Oh, excellent. Chin, chin, that. Hey! I'd just like to congratulate you personally, and another thing. We set up the GoPro there in the corner, um, just realised that the SD card is full. Uh, <laughs> Alright, so, so there's no recording happening. So gone, yeah, we can turn this light off. We, <laughs> that was a bit intense on the other day. Like yeah. a we, we spent hours setting that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we got that moment though. Ah, that's oh, nice. That's yeah. nice. Oh, I'll tell people about this, but we could play it at the wedding. <laughs> yeah, the moment you broke it, don't we? Uh, who is Danger Ball this week? One of the guests. We have two this week. Two Fuck. this week. That's gonna be a nightmare. I don't way, think that's such I, a good idea. I am working on a danger bottle theme, but um, Pl- it please make it work. It hasn't materialized yet. See, uh, I I I found the perfect glass break, right? And I got I was trying to think of movie quotes that would work for it, and my favorite one so far is just a list of odd. Ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> so it's just a smash and ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> See, what me and uh, Ryan almost had like a fucking uh, a, a creative meeting during the week. Oh, when I want to say creative meeting. I was on the phone to him, like, <laughs> and he was asking me my ideas for uh, for Danger Bottle, like a theme. We're, we're, we're mad about jingles these days on Let's Talk More Movies. So I says to him, I was all just have a bottle, crack open, and then a man screaming. I was working. I mean, it's not really a jingle then. It was more just like an art piece or something. As you said that, I was cycling through Dublin City, and there was a man in the corner that had just dropped a bottle of like Mondays or something. Was he screaming? He was. screaming. <laughs> <laughs> that was all that man had. You, you would if you dropped a bottle on Mondays. <laughs> ah, well, if you have Mondays in general, you know what's went wrong. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Right, so the f- um, oh, I, who wants to go first with Danger Balls? Which is least offensive? 
I, I tested Ryan's danger ball last night and it is fucking poison. So Harry, what's hey, your Ryan. danger ball this week? Mine is Tesco's own quality traditional green ginger wine. Oh, that sounds mm. ginger awful. wine. I've actually had ginger wine before. It's it's a very odd thing because I don't mind. I like ginger. I think I might no, like this. No, but it tastes like like hard alcohol, but then it's wine. <laughs> uh, I still believe that this will be the yin to the yang of this terrible, <laughs> terrible ball. It looks like a fucking ball of dental. <laughs> right, okay, well, because obviously Dom's got uh, the golden English tones, he's going to read the back mm. and read the percentage. Oh, fuck, it's 13 and a half. I've, I've just jumped the gun there and you're like, oh, dear. Fucking hell. I'm staying away from this one then. Three pounds fifty. Okay. Green ginger wine, a rich and warming drink with full bodied spicy ginger flavours with a hint of citrus. <laughs> Serve on its own over ice or topped with lemonade. Or mix 50-50 with whiskey to produce the famous Whiskey Mac. <laughs> whiskey Mac? No one's heard of that. Whiskey Mac. I'll have a Whiskey Mac, please. <laughs> Never heard of Whiskey Mac. I, I worry about anything that says flavoured and doesn't have, like, th- that is a genuine possible <laughs> ingredient. But it's just, yeah. I've, it's, got, it's got a special saying, rich and warming. I didn't know that had that <laughs> <laughs> special sign. You know, when you get signs on your clothes, like, only dry wash. Rich like and a, warming. Say not don't drink when you're pregnant, but instead it just says rich and <laughs> 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 She just says, Go ahead, do what you want. If you're drinking this, you got problems anyway. Basically, it's saying if you're homeless, this is your drink of choice <laughs> at winter. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, what I was going to say is, what should be wrote in the back and is drink only in bus shelters. <laughs> <laughs> But if if that doesn't have the wee thing on the back of it, no way. It's some, it has the wee icon of like a pregnant woman and like a line through it, as if you need to be told. But <laughs> if that doesn't have that on, they might think, "Oh, that's sweet." <laughs> I, that's what I love as well. Picture a pregnant woman who's an awful person, is drinking while she's fucking pregnant, and she goes under an offy, and she's got a fucking bottle out there, green ginger wine, and then she sees that, like, "Oh, don't judge. She's not. I can't. I can't actually drink this." <laughs> if you take your life advice from the back of bottles, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> what, what what was it like, Dom? Um, it is quite nice, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. That's that's I'm excited now. Mm. Give me a three pound fifty. Well, so three three pound fifty. I thought you said it was four ninety nine. Well, I can top you. Oh no, he's, he's he's got a wee, he's got a wee backup one rocking about there. Isn't, so isn't we, that nice? So we have three. What's it? She got? Oh, not box wine. Sorry, take a photograph of that right away. <laughs> You can put that in their children's box. It's the size of a standard children's juice box. <laughs> they wouldn't know the difference. That's amazing. They would, have, they would not know the difference. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, this Mo- much was that? Uh, one forty nine. One forty nine. I I love like the fact that like I, I was in France before I was a little and you could buy it like that. Oh, it was like tasteless. like little cartons like that with little straws and things. You go, wow, you French children actually bring these to lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. It's, it's not bad. That was one of the Yeah, that was nice. Eh? I don't get to try. I will prepare yourself for Ryan's one in a month because that's going to knock you in your fucking back. Shall I read the name of it? I go ahead. This was um, gifted to me by a friend who wanted rid of it. Um, <laughs> Which is always are always they really a friend? Uh, <laughs> a friend that has complete disregard for my personal safety. That tastes like ginger. That could be any of your friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> This this comes in a plastic bottle, which is just that's always a bad sign. It's dangerous. It's called Gamel Dansk. <laughs> right, it's Danish. Chili, right? Oh. Chili. Yeah, okay. first of all. 
and licorice. Aye, it's Ooh. the who who opened them? Let, let me have a chat. Let me have a chat. Oh, okay, hang on. It's it's the you're all versus one. Thirty-two percent. Would you like to read this out? Thirty-two yeah. percent. It's absolute rock. I feel well, almost as well. But it's a small bottle. It's only seven hundred cl. Get another glass. Oh no, fifty. Fifty cl. Okay. and licorice shot offers hints of delicate raw licorice, rounded out with the heat from the chili. Remarkable and highly distinctive, without being overwhelming. Oh, that is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect for parties, celebrations, and special occasions. Excuse me, please don't interrupt. In actual fact, Chilean licorice shot is based upon the same 29 in- original ingredients that you will be familiar with from Gamel Dansk. Bitter dram. We have simply <laughs> adjusted. Sorry, sorry, take it. Consensus here. Who's familiar? <laughs> Not one person. Zero percent. We. This is possibly the best bottle ever. Just reading it. We have simply adjusted the mix, reduced the bitterness, <laughs> in- increased the licorice, and added a little extra heat. <laughs> See, see that like we have simply I think you should have spent more time and made it slightly more complex <laughs> <laughs> is there more? Uh, no just don't drink while you're pregnant and should be enjoyed in moderation <laughs> well that's how I don't want to <laughs> oh and colour caramel <laughs> I tasted this last night and the way I described it there Ryan was it's like birthday acid talk acid <laughs> oh god and as licorice all sorts, oh. just I don't even. Hate that. Oh, I love I like licorice, licorice all sorts. I don't even like licorice either. I despise yeah. licorice. Yeah. It's fucking vile, Fuck me. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> what percent? What percentage is it? Thirty-two percent. Thirty-two percent. Which is also such an odd number. Mm. It's it's it just it's starts an even number, but it's strange. It just doesn't fit right in a plastic bottle as well. Nah. <laughs> it's got it's it's contoured as well to so like fit your hand. But see, that's 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 a alcoholic's like dream because so you can yeah. never break it. Like you know, that, that one is definitely rich and warming. <laughs> it's got a nice aftertaste actually. Which is the terrible, the most terrible place to drink a rich yeah. and warming <laughs> drink. Uh, I'm this time already. I meant to bring a thermometer this week. <laughs> I, was sitting, I, was sitting, I was sitting in the lab I was thinking I, I should bring a thermometer just to see what temperature it gets up it, there. It never stops tasting. <laughs> it's like you, you, you know. It's, it, the taste never goes away. It never stops burning, you mean? It burnt the back of my fucking throat for like no, three like, hours last night. I was like, like just waiting for the taste to go away so I can comment <laughs> on it. It's like, it never goes away. It's, it's definitely and a palate cleanser. <laughs> At you forever. Was, a palate cleanser. A palate cleanser. Yeah. It's a palate cleanser. Yeah. It's the, the smell. It's a drink version of herpes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to go with Hiroshima there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> just really clear the land. Not much, sir. That, 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 that really clear the land like anyway. <laughs> oh, my word. Harry, oh, your geez. thoughts? That bottle could fuck way off. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I drank it last time. I drank it again. Chan, you ah. think you don't? You want to? You don't want to say someday? Oh, I drank all the danger bottles apart from one. <laughs> I'm your best man. Though. I can I can bring this back in about like two seconds. I'm sorry, I have so much I want to talk about, but we can't because this is not fair. Oh Jesus Christ! It's so bad, so bad. <laughs> That's not getting touched for us tonight. <laughs> I don't know. Should we like put it in the ice or should we just throw it? Out? Yeah. Uh, no, I just I have fucking ice. Put it in the ice. Put it in the ice. Should burn it. <laughs> 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 I Bonfire, but <laughs> <laughs> you really could. I reckon that would be a cracker fuel. <laughs> 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 it's 
friendly boys and Poland on their cares, not like <laughs> definitely. That's what it is. It's Denmark. actually cool. As a Danish, if I was Polish, yeah. all right, there's boys in Denmark on their cares, not them. Okay, so what have we watched this week? Who wants to go first, Ryan? Um, I watched a few things this week. I caught the last twenty minutes of the Grand Budapest Hotel in the open air cinema in Dublin. Oh, lovely! Yeah, great film. Um, I also watched Three Hours, The Town, and Stalag Seventeen. Oh, Stalag Seventeen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the one I kind of want to talk about is probably The Town or Stalag Seventeen. Go for it. Um, Stalag Seventeen is it's got like one of the greatest opening lines because it's pre The Great Escape, <coughs> and yeah. they talk about it's nineteen fifty three. And they talk about, I hate watching war films because it's always about, like, you know, the bombers and things. And there's never been a good film about the prisoners of war. Yeah. <laughs> so I just hung myself laughing. <laughs> 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 um, so it's about, it's about um, a uh, group of POWs in Stalag 17, which means prison. I think so. Or yeah, camp or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah something like that. And um, there's a spy, a, a Nazi spy, in the middle of this camp and every time they try to like escape and things they're always caught straight away and they're trying to figure out how it happens and they realize it's a spy in the ranks and the guy is a wheeler and dealer he's a con man and everybody thinks it's him because he's like he's this shifty kind of guy yeah he's shady yeah yeah um who plays him do you know it's William Holden William Holden Hollywood's forgotten leading man he won the Oscar for that film yeah um so everybody suspects him but it's not him yeah. like, straight away. And it, it's it's very, very funny. And a lot of the jokes in it, I thought were really kind of, I didn't expect to see from a 1953 film. And I would recommend anybody to watch it that's afraid of watching old films because a lot yeah. of my friends refuse to watch anything that isn't in colour. I have friends <laughs> who refuse to watch anything pre-1990, yeah. which is even fucking worse. <laughs> like. well, I thought like some of the jokes in it, I thought were class like and really, really, really funny. And, a nice side point that I was just going to jump on is that it's uh, it's obviously directed by Bully Wilder, who probably directed maybe one of my favorite films, The Apartment, and he's renowned for having a really caustic, dark humor, like some like it hot. That's really prescient today. Mm. His films, when you watch them now today, seem very fresh, and the, it's surprising when you watch the likes of Stalag Seventeen that he got away with that humor at mm. the time in the fifties yeah, and sixties. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, like like watching it, there was a lot of jokes in it. I was kind of like, whoa, <laughs> mm. <laughs> I I didn't realize that that was kind of. I'm yeah, really acceptable, yeah, yeah because exactly. I mean the Hayes Code was still knocking about then it was in its last legs, but I mean it was still about the Hayes Code, which is basically like the censorship model for oh, okay. the studio system back in like the forties and fifties and stuff like that. But it was starting to thin out around the fifties when yeah, yeah, yeah. the beatnik movement and stuff like that and the whole counterculture movement in general was starting to erode mm-hmm. uh, you know, erode a wee bit. Uh, like uh, moving off like like Sags everything's class and you, you find out he like eventually works out who the rat is and you know, it's interesting. But and it's it, it's it's a dark it's a dark comedy from the 50s in a POW account like which yeah. you just didn't expect ultimate dip movie look yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> actually you know what I, I wouldn't say no that I wouldn't put that aside for that's why you're single <laughs> <laughs> does it build tension or anything or is it no, not no really it's a comedy no. like it, it's yeah, it, yeah. It, it does play for last mostly mm-hmm. but I mean it's, there's still an element of threat there I, think I, I, like, I was thinking the whole way through the film um, the Nazis in it are kind of portrayed as kind of goofy and you know funny and almost almost friendly and i think the guy that wrote the initial play was actually a prisoner of war i was kind of just wondering like were they they portrayed the nazis in this as like, like yeah a bit 
too likable. They're too likable. Oh, yeah. I, I did think yeah. you said the guy actually wrote the film was a Nazi or something. He ran a camp for the SS. <laughs> Nobody caught on during the whole writing process that he was a Nazi at all. <laughs> Dom, what did you watch this week? Um, I watched several films. Sorry, I watched several films. But first of all, can I apologise to the listeners? <laughs> Can I apologise to Shan? Can I apologise to Mickey? Can I apologise to Jill? The dog Suki? Can I apologise to the taxi driver? And the people of Derry for my behaviour last Friday night. And of course, my mother, and most importantly, Sally Field. I'm very sorry, Sally. You are the epitome of elegance and the international standard of beauty. And I'm sorry I spoke of you in that way. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's us covered now in case you don't want to lose it. That's, you know, that's, that's Bridges, man. Did, like, did you come here just to say that? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm off now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched several films, some, most of them I'm not even going to mention because I'm very limited in the films I watch because I haven't got a good PC to stream or download or whatever. I have to give whatever the TV I have TV. to take whatever the g- TV gives me, as we all do. Mm. Yeah. So I saw, I saw Zero Dark Thirty. What decades? It's from Xbox One. I buzzed. was like fucking ten years ago. There's still going. Are they down south? Anyway, where do you watch? Um, <laughs> I watched New Town Killers, which is a reasonably interesting film. Uh, a film set in Edinburgh about a young boy who sort of. He's teetering above the edge of the underclass of society, really. And two bankers give him a mission in which they give him several amounts of uh, thousands of pounds and a key to a safety deposit box. All he has to do is try and escape them for 12 hours between 9 o'clock in that evening till 9 o'clock in the morning. Was that cat and mouse sort of thing? Yeah, it's, it's, it's reasonably good. I think Dougree Scott is worth getting a mention because he plays his character quite well now it's a typically sort of menacing evil man there's nothing different about him yeah. but he plays it very well but i watched a film called we are what we are yeah have you seen that film it's cannibalism one? yes yeah. the mexican one yeah yeah i watched that and i've well it was kind of disappointing but i quite liked it i as i was watching the film I was looking at the way that it was shot with the lighting, and I w- it was rem- it very reminiscent of that Swedish film, Let the R- Right One In. Yeah. And the whole the way that the film portrays this cannibalistic family is very similar. It's supposed to be a horror, but you're sort of looking at the family dynamic. What I found about that film is it's, uh, it's definitely one of those films that script-wise and, and, and story strength-wise, it, it should have been executed better. There, yeah. was a, there was a better film on there. I yes, just don't think that's, I got it. that's what I was wishing the whole time I was watching the film. There's certain things which allude to other subplots within the family I saw occasionally that I thought maybe might happen between some of the siblings. And then there's obviously one sibling. I'm not sure if he's supposed to be gay or not or he's struggling with it. Maybe you could talk about that more. But watching the film, I was kind of wishing it would be better. But I was trying to look for... Maybe it was sort of holding up a mirror to Mexican society during the drug wars. You know, like 120,000 people have been killed in the last 10 years. It's crazy. Would you put that into your like category of films that would actually be good for a remake? 
It has, yeah. it has got a remake. Oh, it got yeah, it's it an has. American remake. Yeah. Was it terrible? I haven't seen it's slightly higher scored than uh, the, the original one on it IMDb. It was 5.7. The remake <laughs> is a 5.8. We told you we're going well, on them fives, man. When, when, when I got to 5.7, I thought maybe this could work because it's Mexican, and I reckon a lot of the people that vote on uh, IMDb are probably from a sort of Anglo English American background racist you're saying yeah. <laughs> <They're all wasps. coughs> um, I'll just move on from there uh, <laughs> I watched Space Jam this week <laughs> That is, that is literally the definition of pathos, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sublime to the ridiculous. Just, how much Mikey's developed as a human being. The week that he said that did for his wedding, <laughs> you re-watched Space Jam. <laughs> You're regressing as a human being. Space Jam's sweet, man. Yeah, it's balls, by the way. <laughs> no, because, like, I kind of just wanted to... I, I just kind of wanted to watch it just to kind of go back and actually... Because it's been years since I've seen it. Like, it was just... Like I've heard, like Michael Jackson's balls on the Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson's balls as well. Was that No, Michael Jordan's balls on it. Like, like he's a bad actor, but like I, I <laughs> <laughs> everyone's thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's thinking about Michael Jordan's balls. Like. He gets his stroke. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deleted scene. Just thinking about Michael Jackson's balls. Did they change color as well? Do you think? <laughs> That's a bit risky. <laughs> That's what everyone's thinking, though, really. Wow. Yeah. But Michael Jordan... The voice age generation. <laughs> I think he does a, a decent job in Space Jam. If, if you think he's acting just on a green screen, like he's acting to something that isn't there. But he's not really acting, he's just being himself. He's just playing himself. Aye, but... Russell Brand kind of job. Yeah. Aye, but it, like, he has to... Eat he has to act like with Bugs Bunny and stuff who isn't there when he's doing it like, so yeah, he's I, not work with. I think he's, he does a decent <laughs> job and, like, and then Bill Murray's cameo at the end is just hilarious <laughs> he does kind of pull from that he salvages it over doesn't he what, what, is, what is this guy called the, the friend the manager Michael Jordan's manager what's, the, what's fat his name guy? yeah the fat guy is that oh Wayne Knight Wayne Knight is he the guy from Seinfeld and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah Jurassic Park he just I think he had like a stranglehold on fat guys in the 90s you know what I mean he always played a fat wanker doesn't he non-stop well, he couldn't help it, being fat like, he could last weekend the, guy. the guy from um, guy with the raspy voice in oh I, Mrs. I, Diver I apologise uh, for that Barbie's attempt Bar- there he, he what is was, it sorry what, do, do you know his name Barbie's Barstein I've been practicing wow. his voice all week and I still think it's as bad as last week yeah. I'm gonna get all these masks that's a lot better I've been practicing I actually was, practice as walking the dogs right now it was Jeff Goldblum's boss as well on Independence Day uh, yeah and he oh, up, I, he phones, oh, up, he phones I, up his mother and tells her to get out of there he's like oh, I'm gonna get out of there it's really raspy but he's quite camp as well I know the guy then he gets fucked up but yeah I also watched also watched the third Aladdin film, Prince of Thieves. I, Mickey told me this during the week, and I didn't even realize there was a second one. So there's three Aladdins apparently. There's three. There's three. So there's three, there's uh, three yeah, Aladdins. Yeah, the second films. one's refren- Revenge of Jafar. Or no, Return of Jafar. Return, Return. But you see, this is the, this is an interesting thing. Uh, Robin Williams didn't come back for the second one because he got annoyed with Disney for the first one because he said he would do the first one, but he didn't want to be the like the main bill person on it, and then all the. All the promotion was Aladdin was Robin Williams, <laughs> <laughs> so he got he got fucked off him. So it was actually Dan Castellaneta 
Is that how you pronounce it? Dan Castellaneta? Homer Simpson? Aye, Homer Simpson. That yeah. did uh, Genie then in Aladdin 2. Really? Return, Return of Jafar. Aye, he, he did it on the TV show and for like video games and stuff as well. Oh shit, okay. But, uh, but then Robin Williams came back for the third one. And Genie's the best thing. Like the, the story isn't much great or anything and the, the animation's worse because it's just straight day home video mm. and stuff. The weird thing about it is like all Genie's jokes. There's there's a lot of like Disney product placement. Like he turns into like Pluto and stuff, and like uh. he, and he turns Jasmine into like Snow White and Cinderella at one point. Is this the Rob Williams? Uh, it's uh. Rob Williams in the third. I literally just gave a big speech. About it. <laughs> it was Rob Williams. Scotch chin on anyway. But uh, no one one of the the best the best bit of it was he turns into Mrs. Doubtfire and uh. he does the Mrs. Doubtfire voice. Does he? I on real. It's so good. <laughs> I know you want to watch it just for that. You should just just look it up on YouTube. Yeah, you've prob- watched the second one before. No. <laughs> yeah, you have to watch <laughs> the whole trilogy. It's not, it's not a great trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> one last thing that I watched this week was Back to School. Any he's ever seen it? Rodney yeah. Dangerfield. Oh, I love Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> oh, I got a wife. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to go. On no, the no, one. no, 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 no. Although, actually, I, I will give a, a quick one. One of my favorite Rodney Dangerfield jokes is. Uh, Oh my wife, she's a bad cook. In my house, we probably have to eat. <laughs> Sorry, just just to really idiot over here, like who's on the edge field? Oh. I know I know the name, I just I can't put a face to it. You normally see, he's, he's, in all fairness, probably his most famous role in cinema, a song that he's really not renowned for. He uh, he plays like a really like sexually abusive dad in uh, National Born Killer. He plays a really creep. He's in Little Nicky the, as well. The one who attacked Juliet. His grandda, yeah, just a horny grandda. Oh yeah. Rodney Dangerfield's the main character in, in Back to School, and it's just he's just this rich bastard basically. Who uh, his ki- his kid goes to college, but he's not liking it that much. So he's all, "Oh, I'll go to college with you." <laughs> 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 oh, wait, wait, is, is he? Wait, again, I might be very, very wrong here, but is he the guy that in? Oh, I can't remember what it is. You got this. Yeah, he like. He hands in a paper on uh, Kurt Vonnegut, and Kurt Vonnegut helps him write it. Yeah, and the teacher. <laughs> yeah, goes, that's the film. Don't know anything about Kurt Vonnegut? I've only seen this on YouTube. I know <laughs> I, that? that that specific bit. Uh, he he gets like an oh, F. That's the film. Hey, that's the film. I'm on about. That's the whole film. He he, <laughs> no, he 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 gets an F on this paper, and the teachers say this like he obviously doesn't do it yourself, and whoever you got to do it doesn't know anything about Kurt Vonnegut. Then it cuts. He's like Vonnegut, you're a goddamn idiot. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny, but no, like it's it's funny just just for Rodney Dangerfield's kind of lines and his his wee jokes. Like he's rich because he has he has a chain of shops called Tall and Fat Shops. <laughs> so like there's a there's a bit where he says he was like, "You should go to my Tall and Fat Shops." No offense. <laughs> or he's, That's a great impression. It's pretty good. It's like, we got that locked down, like. Oh, I'm going to mess up with this next one. <laughs> no, but there's a bit where he's he's, he's just he's just walking through the halls, handing out pens to people. He's like, "Yeah, take a pen, take a pen," and he gives he gives a pen to a boy and goes, "Hey, I know you from those ads. You're tall and fat. He's like, you're, you're small and ugly. Give me my pen back." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's it's a stupid story at all. But it's just funny just for Ronnie Dangerfield. Yeah. Anyway, Harry, what have you watched? I watched three films this week. First one I watched was the Michael Mann film that was released earlier this year, Black Hat. I how, how was that? that? I enjoyed it. Now, even though a lot of people say I'd say you would have to understand, you know, computers and everything. Yeah, the background. Yep. Aye. Yep. Aye. So you have they hack into the nuclear power plant and shut off coolers and stuff, and then Mr. Burn region. What? <laughs> <laughs> I called him Mr. Burn as well. I I know, Mr. Burn. Mr. Burns. And then they 
and then the clothes the hacker used is something um is something that uh Chris Hemsworth's character's written, so him the him is mate from university. Um they're hired by the CIA and FBI to track down this uh, uh hacker boy because he's used something called what do you call it? A, a rap. A rat. <laughs> so it stands, it keeps saying wrapped in it, but it stands for remote access to. I, I can't. I can't imagine Chris Hemsworth playing a computer game. <laughs> see, this, put, this is the thing. <clears throat> when it first came out, people were saying he's just too attractive to be a yeah. hacker, which I think is offensive. To yeah, hackers. it's pretty offensive. <laughs> you can be good looking and be I, smart. I, yeah, like, I probably. Seen, I haven't seen this film, but like, look around you. Like. I haven't seen this film, but like one of the things that um, is always really hard to convey in film is someone typing. And like, there's a whole <laughs> no, no. There's a whole thing about it. It's like really, really difficult to do to convey someone writing something and writing code is like a. Uh, it's just essentially typing. The only apparently the only good example is in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, where they have the scene where Hunter S. Thompson's typing up the the wave speech to San Francisco thing in the ass trip. But um, I the only other one I can think of that's good is in the Social Network, where like he's students to that class Trent Reznor. Oh, I like it's such a good yeah, yeah. such a good film. But um, is there any of that in the film, like where people sitting like typing away furiously? Coding. I, I see. Well, you kind of see Chris Hemsworth going through all this code, and he just goes, "I someone, in order to, f- uh, they always leave a clue or something, their signature, some kind of." So it's just kind of passed off, and it's just kind of hand waved aside because they think it'd be like, like too boring or something. I see. Uh, something like that, but it's a good, good action scenes. I don't think it's all shot in location. Boys throwing computers at each other. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, well, the main, the main, the main bad guy. Smashing heads with laptops. Though. The main bad guy. You would, you wouldn't. It's not a well-known actor. You just know him really from The Dark Knight. Who is he? He's that one that the Joker goes up to, and say, um, the Chechen boy. Oh, that your man is a mad dogs. Oh, hungry, your man. Uh, he all. is a dick. He's a dick in that film, anyway. Oh fuck I he's a pretty good actor because I've seen him in a few things. He's, he's he's a big character actor. I can't remember his name though. Oh, really? It's Richie Richie something. Out of five stars, what would you give it? I would give it three out three out of five. Not bad, okay, that's that's average. Uh what did I watch this week? I rewatched uh, the Great Gatsby because we we're chatting about it last week and I got it in my head. I wanted to kinda give a, a reevaluation of it. Well it unfortunately got deleted last week. <laughs> hey? Oh yeah, no, I knew that. I got <laughs> oh yeah, you should probably. We forgot to do that disclaimer at the start. Do you want to uh, explain why last week's episode was uh, shorter? Um. Well, no. It's uh one of the recordings got corrupt last week, so we lost uh, Dom's and Dan's topic. And they were both fabulous. So Dom is going to redo his topic today of documentaries. Mm. I was absolutely furious. Maybe about this, by the way, because I had so was Dan Kill. No, no, <laughs> Dan thought it was done on purpose. He was calling him like a saboteur because he thought he was just deliberately trying to call him out. I had a piece of work to do that I knew like it's a very strict protocol. I knew it would last two hours, right? To do this, and I had set my like I, I can't do it without something in the background because yeah. you know, it's real repetitive. And when I put on the podcast, it was like an hour and six minutes or something. I was like, hour and nineteen. Oh, yeah. You sons of bitches! <laughs> I have to sit and I I couldn't like. You couldn't well, stop it. No, the problem is like it's all the work is in a sterile hood. So once you start, you can't like you can spray your hands down, but it's a bit of a bit of a. So once you start, you just can't stop. Yeah, you can't stop. Yeah, so it's like Richard Pringles. Still my joking motherfucker. The podcast stopped, and I was like just sitting there going. Wait a minute. Uh, so you were working in a sterile hood. Were you doing something really delicate? So yeah, you have your hands inside, so you don't want to take your hands out that often. 
but what what are you what are you doing exactly? You don't want to know. And you, you what you do you Someone do neuro is it neuroscience? Yeah. Right, well, so you're right, so you're operating on cells and maybe brain yeah, cells, yeah, yeah. and you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoyed for any occasion. <laughs> 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 uh, so I rewatched Great Gatsby. We chatted about it last week. Unfortunately, I got deleted. Hopefully, we can maybe chat about it later on. But uh, it's my. It's, Good it's talk about it right now. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> no, just I'll just stop talking. Uh, it's, it's you know what? It's basically my favorite book. Probably my favorite book, The Great Gatsby. So it, it's it was always going to have a big mountain to climb on me anyway. And like obviously, The Great Gatsby is a lot of people's favorite book. Uh, it just doesn't do it. I want to let people praise the Jay Z soundtrack and how Baz Luhrmann spiced it up in that way. I don't mind the visuals because it, it kind of shows the the opulence and the and the how, how grandiose like the nineteen twenties, the roaring twenties, jazzier was. That's that's perfectly fine with me. Soundtrack doesn't work. So many people go, oh, I like the soundtrack. The Jay Z thing really does not work for me. Uh, I the complete. I, I agree with you completely. I I, I found that the most intrusive thing. It's, it's really jarring. There's a couple yeah. of scenes where it just doesn't fit, and it's almost like they're doing it. Just to be different, or just to put a different spin what? on this kind of famous text. Another thing I don't like about the Great Gatsby is that for me, Jay Gatsby is one, one of the best characters ever wrote. You know, so much mistake, and you don't quite know how he's amassed his fortune. That's part of the kind of intrigue about him. And he's supposed to be slick. He's supposed to be debonair. And the, you know, it's it's hard to do that wrong when you know you've got such lavish costumes and you got DiCaprio in the role. But what I don't like is that. They make him up by a buffoon. He, he, he doesn't. He's not slick enough for me. I don't think he's slick enough for anybody who read The Great Gatsby. And halfway through, he loses his cool far too quickly with the, the famous scene in the hottest day of the summer with Buchanan, yeah. where he swings at him. That's kind of departure from the book too, because that doesn't happen. Maybe they were trying to ramp up a bit of tension or, or make a, a wee bit more dramatic. I, I like that scene though. But they, they, they kind of mishandled that. In the book, it kind of does seem like maybe he's a bit stalkerish and stuff like that. Maybe he is too obsessed with Daisy. But then... For me, it it comes off as a bit pathetic in the film, and he shouldn't come off as as pathetic. I don't know, and no, even like I don't. Too that, much effort for me, and maybe I'm I'm again being overly critical or overly harsh because that's my favorite book, and I expect so much of it. And there's never been a good adaptation of Gatsby. I would love to see a, a proper, proper great adaptation of it. But you assume that because Gatsby's recreated his life for Daisy, and he's amassed his fortune, and, he, and he's fucking everything he's ever done is for her to get her back. They don't really have that great a chemistry, the two actors. You know, mm. they, they, I, you just don't feel that spark between I the know, two. I know, I'll them. give you that one. I, they don't yeah, really have the it, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like that would be the case. But yeah, you know what? Visual wise, it's a good film. Obviously, the narrative is always going to be good. It's based on all the greatest books ever ever wrote. But just maybe some casting choices, the music choices, it just doesn't work for me. But again, maybe I'm being its harshest critic. Well, I I said this last week and unfortunately got cut. Sean Coyle is Jay Gatsby and the book is Daisy. <laughs> <laughs> and he's searching his whole life just to find a good adaptation of it. So just before we move on, um, just going off in last week's podcast too. Um, is is just like talking about last week's podcast? It's <laughs> like that extra slice. Well, yeah, Dan, Dan said last week about um, Winston Smith. I just want to get your opinion on this. I've always thought that a good Winston Smith would be Gary Oldman playing George Smiley, a bit more roughed up as Winston Smith. That's pretty good. What's about uh, you? You talking nineteen eighty four? Yeah, I think I think uh, Gary Oldman in that like like in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, like that character, but like a bit more run down would be a great Winston Smith. It's a pretty good one actually. I follow uh, one during the week too. Uh, Superman, Brian Blessed. 
<laughs> Please stop bringing up Brian Blessing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a recurrent thing. What's, what's wrong with you now, Brian Blessing? Brian Blessing can play. What, what? He's, he's like John Handy. He can play. What about, what about um, Pinocchio? Brian what's, Blessing. No, what's your man saying? The French actor? Gerard Depardieu? Yeah, he'd be a great Superman. <laughs> Sorry, Super Monsieur. I would fly around the world and uh, I would think why. <laughs> I, think, I think the funniest thing that he's ever done was when he was flying into um, he was flying into Dublin. He what did he have his cape on? <laughs> <laughs> I was in there He uh, drunk. He drunk so much in the plane and he had a piss uh, and the stewardess said. We're landing. You can't go to the toilet. And he went, "Fuck you!" and just pissed into a bottle in front of what her. What an absolute legend! <laughs> you come on a fucking dickhead. Absolute super content. I, I nearly did that on a flight to Derry last year. There we go. There we go. Yet again, I, hey, keeping up the trend. Hey, keeping up the trend of Dom and mutton crimes every week. What do you, what do you mean? You nearly did that? Like I drank. It was an accident. I drank two pints at Stansted Airport. Yeah, I downed two pints before I got there. <laughs> Sitting on the plane, thinking I should go for a piss at the toilet, but I've never pissed in, a, in an airplane toilet before. My friend and never I... pooed in, a, in an airplane <laughs> until recently, and he was really overwhelmed when he done it. And he, he built up there for a long time. Anyway, it was a good, it was a good, a good intro. Sorry, back to our new feature, Crime Watch. <laughs> well, I was trying to hold it in, and the fastened seatbelts came on. Like we're flying over Benevena at that point, so you can sort of see the foil and the inner show, and you know it's ten minutes away. Mm. And I just get up because I've been holding it in for about half hour now, and I don't know why. The I whole flight and <laughs> in, like, really my, in pain and I'm sweating like beads of sweat are coming out of my head because I'm concentrating trying to what hold it in, so. in no it was just two pints at the Weatherspoons in Stansted Airport <laughs> 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 sorry, sorry Stansted Airport has a Weatherspoons yeah of course it does Weatherspoons are everywhere now um, <laughs> and then I got up and they started arguing with me I was like please can you Get back in the aisle. Get off the aisle. Get back in your seat. And I was like, No, you've got to let me in there now. You've got to let me in there now. And the people looking around, he's going, Do you want me to piss in a bottle in front of everyone? He's going, No, you have to sit up. I need to piss now. And then he let me do it. And everyone was just as I had to sit down at the back row that's usually reserved, but no one was sitting there. Everyone was just walking past me because I just sat there and wait. I always sit there and wait for everyone to get off the plane. So they're all looking at me like. You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll move on to news. Uh, first news this week is Colin Trevor Trevor or Trevorrow? Uh, Trevorrow, I would say. But oh, so it's must probably be Trevorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Colin Trevorrow is... Sorry, sorry, can we make this a feature? Just Sean, like mispronouncing people's names yeah and it's the whole podcast well, I, I, I brought it up last time but like I, re- I really want like to single it out you know just just hang on it'll do it i got a couple of favorites on here all right so colin trevorrow is to direct star wars episode nine i i heard this during a week and i'm it's, i say it's far too much about news but i couldn't really give a fuck because see to be honest with you no and no i'm saying this because the two films of Colin Trevorrow or Trevorrow or whatever the fuck his name is. The two films oh, of his that I've seen. Trevorrow, Trevorrow. There. There. The two films of his that I've seen. Uh, obviously, uh, Jurassic World recently, which I thought was good, but it's, it's your very standard uh, blockbuster. Non-special. And then Sifty Not Guaranteed, which I talked about a couple yeah. of weeks back, which I really wasn't impressed with because I thought it was too slow and it introduced itself as being like a time travel film. 
but there was no time travel. And uh, it, it's not a time travel. I know it, it, it's supposed to focus on my characters, but I didn't even find the characters that interesting. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not quite sure if he's... I, I, I don't know how to gauge him yet. I don't know well, where they say he's a good... Th- he's obviously... <coughs> to be able to handle a franchise as big as Jurassic Park and reintroduce it and do it, you know, be a, a sort of a, a high enough standard and, and, and produce a, a pretty good blockbuster, fair enough. He's obviously a talented man. I'm much more talented than me sitting in a fucking tent doing a podcast. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't think he's a... Yet, very premature, but I don't think he's a special director. I haven't seen enough from his first two films. They think he's one they watch. Well, you see, I would say, with safety not guaranteed, it, he just kind of showed his, mo- his more in these sensibilities and kind of focusing on the characters. And he, even if he doesn't like it, like you can't say that he didn't kind of dive deep into the, the two characters oh, no. or anything. Um, so, yeah, and then with Jurassic World, he showed he can handle a, a big franchise. And as well, like, I, I enjoyed Jurassic World, but, like, I, I can... I can uh, I can say like uh, it's a standard kind of action film or whatever, but you know he, he, he I think it's undersold how well a job he did with Jurassic World oh, because no, I mean, it, because like but if you think the sequels of Jurassic Park two and three awful they, yeah exactly like he managed to bring back uh, Jurassic Park and make it relevant again and, and now it's the third highest grossing film ever yes yeah, <laughs> saying I mean like literally I said a few minutes back I mean you, you shouldn't understand how big a job he done, how good a job he done in reviving what was essentially near enough a dying franchise. It, it, and isn't franchises a killing films? Yeah. They are right, but do you really want to revive any more Jurassic Park Well, I mean, films? there's there's certain franchises that why not? Because, I mean, there haven't been a, a Jurassic Park... I mean, like, I'm not even that big a Jurassic Park fan, but I can understand why people love it. And if people want more of it, then why not give them that? Do you know what I mean? There's a, there's a serious pretension around franchises and stuff like that, too. There's plenty of how cinema that you can get your teeth sunk on the... But there's franchises there because people like seeing these films. So if they like seeing them, they're going to keep making them because it also makes the people who make them fucking tons of money. Is, again, I don't know anything about this, is J.J. Abrams still on board for all these things? J.J. Abrams is doing episode seven. Okay. That's coming out at the end of the year. And Ryan Johnson's writing and directing episode eight and writing episode nine. What what I was going to say too, actually, uh, is J.J. Is Abrams not still executive producer of all the... Like, he's essentially now George Lucas. He is just... He, he's taking the range from George Lucas. He's a, he's, isn't he? he's a no, successor. I, I, I don't think it's been said that he's he's executive producer. See, I was under the assumption that J.J. Abrams was now in the kind of George Lucas roller capacity. No, that no, he was like, overseeing all the Star Wars. He had, like, a lot of... like. The majority control of that, like. Well, no, yeah. it's, it's like when when he when it was announced that he was going to do episode seven, everybody thought he was going to do the whole trilogy, like, and mm. then they started announcing all their directors and stuff. I'm I'm not I I'm not 100 percent sure if he is going to stay on as a producer, but because I was thinking like he directed Mission Impossible three, and then he still executive produced those, and he's still executive producing the new Star Trek film, so maybe he will be on board to kind of oversee the I thing. I'd like what? to see him have a creative input. So what has Ryan Johnson written before, just to give me an uh, idea of what I'm expecting? Wreck and Looper, which are two excellent films. And The Brothers Bloom, which, which is Wreck, right. yeah. Wreck. Brick. Brick. And Looper. Oh, Looper. Looper, the one with Hayden Christiansen. No, 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 that's, that's, that's Jumper. Jumper. Oh. Uh, Looper, no, very good uh, film. It's uh, uh, Joe Levitt and uh, Bruce Wells. I, yeah. I really liked Brick. I thought it was a great film. I love Brick because you know Actually, sorry to interrupt. Jugo Levitz has has been in all his films. Yeah, he's going to be in Star Wars. Oh, <laughs> he's going to be a Sith Lord, Sorry, isn't he? No, this is me just making this up in I, my head. But again, he's again, probably doing this. This isn't breaking news. Sorry again. Um, someone someone brought this up to me during the week, and I, they said it's a shit film. That is really not shit because I I really liked it. Um, it's Premium it? Rush. 
No, that's a shit film. I love Baby Ruth. I, I, hate, that I hate that fucking Why? film. Why? Because it's so stupid. I, I mean, love I love Michael Shannon's character. I, but right. It's what, just because what? you love cycling, on this. Yes. <laughs> That's all it is. No, but right. No, but right. This is, right. One of my main problems with right. Why is Michael Shannon doing what he's doing? It's fun. never explained in the film. Because he's in trouble. Because <laughs> he's in trouble. It never explains it in the film. It's just like there's this kid, and then there's fucking Michael Shannon wants to kill him or something. I don't know. No, because, he's got, because he's got gambling debts. <laughs> right. So what? What? What's he doing? He's trying to extort money from the girl. <laughs> Did he lose his money on the Tour de France? <laughs> Michael Shannon doesn't cycle. I mean, I, I, I love Joko Levitt. I'll watch my thing apart from... Who's his party uh, remake as well? What's the original? Does anyone know? No idea. Do you know what I was going to say, though? Uh, just as a side point, Ryan. Could you picture Ryan as a screenwriter? Picture Ryan going on to give us pitch? And uh, why is this character? What, what's this character's goal here? He's just, uh, he's just in trouble, hey. <laughs> <laughs> why, why is he in trouble? Debts, death, gamble. <laughs> I mean, I, I shouldn't have to explain it for you, film experts. Like, <laughs> I know. I mean. You shouldn't see the big picture. Up there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you, you're going to come in here, question me. I'm going to take it to you, Fox. <laughs> I love as well. You know for a fact that Ryan's first screenplay would essentially just be point breaking on a goal. <laughs> <laughs> problem I'm having with um, these comments is that they're all a wee bit too real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it has the screenplay in the backpack. <laughs> He's going to show us later on. <laughs> Main character's called Jenny Called F. Next news, uh, Victor Frankenstein trailer. <laughs> <laughs> that went from Jeez. being Frankenstein to right. being Irish. I don't know, I don't know what it was. Oh, Victor Frankenstein. <laughs> Oh, Victor Frankenstein Ooh, down the road. Can I, oh, there. Can I, can I just, How much do you hear I, about your boy Victor Frankenstein? <laughs> He's <laughs> only went and made a monster. <laughs> did, you, did you see your fella bit the boat with a head? <laughs> a big neck in him. <laughs> George Lucas. Just <laughs> see that fucking humpback with him. <laughs> can I just be the first to say, like, I'm a fan of James McAvoy and I love Danny Radcliffe in The Woman Black and... The series with John Hamm. Uh, by the way, uh, Doctor's uh, Notebook. Doctor no, yeah. By the way, Danny Rockoff growing up into John Hamm. Never really happened. No. Wishful yeah. thinking. Danny Wishful wishes. Thinking. Uh, <laughs> but I seen that trailer and I thought, oh my god, this is gonna be dog shit. Mm. It looks Continue. balls. It does. Look it balls, looks man. really balls. I, but before, oh well, Don, do you want to contribute? To be honest, all I was looking at it was his hair. Down his, <laughs> his hair's all us. It looks like he's walked off a set of fucking slackers or something like that. Do you know what I mean? I but seeing is Igor not meant to be like some kind of humpback? Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what well, I thought. They're, 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 they're doing a twist on it. He's Get just he's just a good looking guy. No, but going back to uh, Victor Frank, is that I was going to try and do his voice again. Um... <laughs> I don't know what voice I was trying to do originally, but... Oh, anyway. Victor Frankenstein, no way. Ah, Victor Frankenstein. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I, I kind of got, like, a kind of, like, Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes vibe kind of from it. So I kinda, it kind of makes me think maybe it'll be good. But mm. there, there was too many kind of wee one-liners and kind of wee co- trying to be comedy kind of things in it. No. It's like, he's like, well, I think that's aware or whatever. It's yeah. like, it's like it's not funny. Well, it's not time to be funny. There's a thing trying to kill us, you know? Yeah. There's a 
from the trailer, I mean, it, it definitely seems like it's a wee bit light and it's going to be, you know, comedic in, in the vein I, of the trailer I, I comes. I don't mind that and, and stuff like I, that. It's I, just, it's it seems really heavy in the trailer, so, like, if it's going to be heavy in the film, like, I don't like mind everything's that. a fucking joke. I don't mind that either, but it was one of those trailers I watched and I didn't, you know that Frankenstein's coming and stuff like that, but he shows up there in the trailer. All right, you don't know what the fuck is going on there. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I really don't know what else well, is going Fra- on around Frankenstein's, Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein's monster. Has anybody read, read the book here? No. So as if you've read Mary Shelley, maybe you get a grasp of what's going on in the trailer. But they, you know, with the trailers, they're trying to entice more of the action yeah, in. Exactly. To try and get non-readers in. It's pretty. It's it's. it's You're whispering again, right? It's pretty. Whispers yeah, he's one of the classic from the early days of cinema, Dracula and Frankenstein's yeah. monster, and like the Mummy. They're some of the earliest over horror characters. Well, What's actually, since since you brought up all those horror char- horror characters, <laughs> <laughs> hey, all right. um, horror, horror characters, uh, Universal has the rights to all those, and they were actually going trying to go. To, when they try and set up their own like monsters cinematic universe. Well, I mean, so wait, how did they attain the rights to all Two these? seconds, just just going on there about a film history here, and I don't want to bore the listener. But the whole thing is, is that obviously Universal had a very very famous monster movie movement in like the late twenties, or well, especially in the thirties and stuff like that. They done Dracula with Bela Lugosi, they done Boris Karloff as the Mummy, and uh, they done Frankenstein too, uh, with the James Whale, absolutely cracking film. I think it's nineteen thirty one. They've always retained the rights to those. They are all stone-cold classics now. And Universal are kind of synonymous with monster movies because of that. And only recently, they've been trying to recreate them. I'm not quite sure. I think that Universal might... Yeah, yeah. was Universal nearly certain to redone the werewolf? You know, the Benicio Del Toro one that fell uh, flat yeah. in his fucking face? That looked uh, terrible. And I think that when they were trying to recreate it, I think it just took a wee bit of steam off it. But it seems now they're... Well, no, they, back in there. They, they did Dracula Untold as well, but apparently that wasn't great. Should have been on film just... <laughs> When did Dracula get that accent? Was it Bella Lugosi? It is Bella Lugosi. Is it Bella Lugosi? Yeah. It is Bella Lugosi. Yeah. Yeah. Because, 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 now yeah. because yeah. Bella Lugosi was so unbelievably iconic in that yeah. role, obviously a Hungarian man, it went so much under the popular conscience that now any time somebody does a Dracula voice, yeah. they're, they're, they don't realise it, but they're essentially just trying to imitate no, a Hungarian it, accent. I've read like the... the, the Stoker books, like mm-hmm. you know, and at no point does it mention an Eastern nope. European accent. If anything, if anything, he's but supposed to be yeah, Romanian. Yeah, he is. He, he is, is supposed to be like he is, he is, is he a Hungarian or Romanian prince? Romanian. He's from he's Transylvania. A, he's from Transylvania, but he he was a real person. Like oh yeah, Vlad the, the Impaler. Ba- what is based on? Dracula? Well, Dracula's based on Vlad the Impaler, yeah. who oh, was a Romanian yeah. prince. Who, <laughs> when they were kicking out the Ottoman Turks, he basically impaled foul <laughs> after a battle he won. Sweet, he impaled all sorry. the survivors on stakes so, and just let so, them hang there. So. Have any of you ever seen that 2004 film, Stephen Summers, Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman? Yes. Includes everyone in it. Yeah. Frankenstein, Dracula and the werewolf. Aye. Actually, very funny you said that, Harry, because when I was watching the Victor Frankenstein trailer, that is exactly the film that I was reminded of, Van Helsing, which isn't a good thing, obviously, because Van Helsing is a, a big bag of balls. Uh, I was also kind of reminded of the League Extraordinary Gentleman again not a good thing whatsoever this, this is really strange that, that's exactly the same thing I thought yeah. I thought this like oh god this looks like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. it almost seemed like a film yeah. that should have been released about 15 years ago yeah. you know what I mean okay our last news this week is it's all not even really important or relevant or anything it just kind of made me smile and laugh oh. 
It's <laughs> no, it's a, they released the photo of Chris Hemsworth in the new Ghostbusters film, and it just, it's just like it's a funny photo. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like obviously, you showed me the photo before the podcast. He does look very happy. He yeah, just looks like he's, he's having fun being It's there. just his wee fist, just uh, riding, riding a motorbike. <laughs> it does look like it's the first time he's been on a motorbike and he's finally just sort of mastered second gear. <laughs> <laughs> or, or like, the, what you can't see in the background, it's his dad just letting go of the bike. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing it! You're doing it! <laughs> uh, just Andy Hawkins owning it. Taken just before. Did you say that Anthony Hopkins could play Chris Hemsworth's dad? I owned it. He, he's his damn horse. Oh, I, I have not seen it. Jesus Christ, amateur over here. Anyway, I don't, do you know what, though? Uh, Son, you said a couple weeks back, and I think you actually fucking called it. Uh, you were saying that you thought that Chris Hemsworth would be kind of maybe a nerdy character because he's maybe too good looking and they wouldn't do the whole action movie thing because it would take away from like the kind of female leads. It definitely looks like they're going for that. He's supposed to be like the kind of goofy assistant or something. Although, funnily enough, I pointed out earlier, Chris Hemsworth as a hacker, like, you can't be beautiful and smart. Mm. <laughs> yes, <of course. laughs> but, uh, no, I, I think just, it's a funny photo, and it just, Chris Hemsworth, it just, he makes me laugh for some reason, but I think it just bodes well for the whole Paul Feig Ghostbusters. Yeah, I'm still unsure about the film, but Paul Feig is a for hands. Everything's done. Freaks and Geeks, one of the most ongoing TV shows ever. Uh, what, I, he, did he direct all Freaks and Geeks? He, he created it, like... Oh, uh, I thought was 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 it him and your man Michael like, John Apatow? I, I well, John Apatow was heavily involved as well. That, that's a who's who, like. From yeah, Jesus, Seth Rogen, James Franco. Uh, I know, but I always thought that was created by John Apatow. No, it was Paul. No, Fee. no, it's Paul Feig. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's so Paul just, Feig's thing. John Apatow was like producer or whatever. Yeah, I think like he was definitely he had a, a lot of creative on Paul yeah. Um uh, Yeah, he's a super fair hands. Obviously, Bridesmaids, very good. Spy, I thought was really really funny. The Heat, I wasn't crazy about, but you know, everybody's allowed to must step. Uh, yeah, it could be good. It's it's interesting, you know what I mean, because they are doing a different spin off. But yeah. also, Paul Feig was Mister Poe in Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Was he? <laughs> I, I just I just like to point out that um, he had simply the best character name ever in any TV show. His name was Gene Poe. That's a crazy. <laughs> crazy and he's a science teacher. And like Our he. He was had, he specifically biology or just science? He, he was biology. Uh, Probably a word for the Sabrina Raiders. There was, there was, there was, there was a bit as well. I thought really good. Like he taught the karate class. And <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they went like and Sabrina kicked. Oh my! Out. He's like, oh my god, why? Why would he teach karate? Like, that guy definitely got beat up a load in school. <laughs> <laughs> he had to go and learn karate. <laughs> Did you see a lot of yourself in that character, man? Personally, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all I've ever wanted to aspire to. <laughs> oh my <laughs> you, you, god, you, that is sad. Did you <laughs> ever go out with a nurse? <laughs> One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Anywho, uh, we'll move on to topics. Hi, you tried that. I've noticed you doing it the last couple weeks. You're trying to thing. I thought now I'm going to be a best man. Like I thought I would do. You know what I mean? You have to be one and the same, essentially. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I've just realised what that entails. Yeah. <laughs> That's awful. That's right, who wants to go first? I'll go first. Okay, cool. I'm the, they call me First Man Mickey. Mickey. <laughs> first Man Mickey. <laughs> yeah, nobody calls you that, but anyway, go ahead. Uh, no, I wanted to bring up, it's the whole thing, because uh, recently the new Fantastic Four film came out, and it hasn't been getting the best reviews, let's say. <laughs> fucking sad. You know, very, very quickly, what I was very surprised at is even usually when a new film's released and it's pretty bad and it's getting critically fucking hammered, the IMDb score is usually filtered around the, the, the dark, the darkness of uh, of the fives and the fours mm. and stuff like that. The new Fantastic Four went straight to like, I think it's 3.2 or something. Really? That's 3.2 uh, on IMDb. Is it just that Fantastic Four is, always seems to be at the end of the cycle of superhero films? Because surely the other ones weren't even that popular. Yeah. No, they weren't. Who is it? So they're Fantastic for no one. But I mean, what's weird is that they, I think, were Stan Lee's original creation at Marvel. So they were his first superheroes. Yeah. And I don't know, and I'm probably going to. Or the first superhero team or something. Yeah, like that. so like it was before X Men. I am nearly yeah, sure yeah. on that. But what's weird? I'm probably going to upset uh, all five of uh, the Fantastic Four fans out there in the world. That uh, <laughs> so offensive. <laughs> but like they are just shit. They're just a crap X Men. They are. They're so fucking bored. The only thing saving. See if the thing wasn't the Fantastic Four, they would have faded on the obscurity. Also, years literally ago. the only thing that's saving. <laughs> yeah, them. Is the thing, yeah. Do you know what? It's, who it's, it's, who it's, plays it's, the thing? In this one, it's, uh, Jamie, it's uh, Bell. Jamie Bell. Yeah, uh, Jamie, Jamie Bell. Sorry, I uh, know it's all sorry, it's all CG and motion capture. Just, just can, be can the, he do in the room? Like, who's Jamie Bell? Uh, Billy Elliot. Yeah, Billy Elliot, essentially. Played Tim Tim as well. Yeah, Tim Tim. Yeah. Mm. I I like Jamie Bell. I like him. He, he, he is definitely a talented actor. But again, just, well, you see it's, that it's the whole muscast thing. I think it's just not the thing. It's a thing. Should be gruff. I know he's supposed to be younger, and it's a younger tech, and that's what Josh Trank was going for. But he's not gruff enough. But anyway, no, I can I can't picture him as being. He's Billy Elliot. Mm. <laughs> like, well, he was like ten yeah. or something. The guy, he's Billy Elliot. The guy who played the Shield in the last Michael Chiklis. Michael, oh. he was perfect. That, yeah, that was uh, good. That was one of the few things. Well, the only thing probably they got right there. You might as well just got Ross Kemp in there. <laughs> just picked like, him orange. I'm sorry, but a Ross Kemp, the thing is like a dream of mine. <laughs> I've, I've said this many times before. I think that'd be classic. What do you call <laughs> when have you said this many times? Oh, well, never said this. Yes, I have. <laughs> you said that Ross Kemp I'm should so, be the I'm, thing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Ross but Kemp you've been too drunk when I've told you this many times. This is balls. He's, he's, <laughs> this is he's written some extreme fan fiction about it's, Ross. It's Kemp. all, it's all part of his sort of cycling thriller. Can the thing now have a brother who's just like the equivalent of Phil Mitchell? Can, can that happen? <laughs> <laughs> what I was saying too, but uh, no, don't, don't mind. it's it's a strange thing about the thing too, or shine up the thing, the Fantastic Four is that. I've always found them very boring. I, I think they're kind of flat characters. I think that it, it it's it's uh, it shows that they were Stanley's first characters, and the fact that they aren't as develop they aren't developed as well, and they're very much rooted in the sort of cheesy sixties golden age of comics. Whereas you can kind of modernize the like X Men and stuff like that. The Fantastic Four they struggle with, but the only thing that I would say is that 
what's really wasted on the Fantastic Four is the fact that Doctor Doom is one of the greatest villains there is, and he's just wasted on that bunch of fucking losers. And <laughs> Sa- Sandy's big thing is that like his characters have a lot of flaws and they're like really, really like damaged people, and like the best thing about them is like you know they're like they've overcome this and they they become superheroes. Fantastic Four is a wee bit too clean. Yep, that's yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, they're just, they're just like, you're, they're your standards, you're, they're your standard superheroes. Like, like I like to call Superman Syndrome. Right. Or you could even call it Captain America Or sorry, because uh, we know now that Jared Dibbert is the, the next Superman, a uh, Super Mature Syndrome. <laughs> uh, you're exactly right. The whole problem with Captain America or Superman or the Fantastic Four is because they were released in the Golden Age and it's very hard to modernise because they don't have flaws and they can't really fit on that anti-hero and that, thing sort of mould. Yeah, yeah. They're they're too good. They're too moralistic. And I think now we live in a more kind of cynical world where you want your antagonist, or sorry, you want your protagonist or you want your hero to be flawed. Because somebody who's perfect, like Superman, I can just do absolutely everything, is boring. It's flat. That's, that, that's, there's that, no, there's that, no that's, tension there. That's a real reflection of like how cynical audiences have actually become. Like we, we actually we, we need our heroes to have serious, serious problems before we can yeah. accept them as being... You're, z- super you're exactly right, and I thought that was such a smart narrative move. Even though I think the finished product of the the first Captain America, mm. w- it's kind of boring. It's okay, it passes as a kind of summer blockbuster and a buddy on origin story. But I thought it was so smart that they kind of uh, kind of broke the fourth wall and they were self reflexive in the fact that Captain America was created in a time where he was supposed to be perfect, yeah. and now in the more modern world. It doesn't work anymore. The whole stars and stripes, star spangled America, fucking bald eagles and all this shit. It it, it doesn't ring true anymore because yeah, yeah. that's not how people see America anymore. And I think they've done a good job of modernizing them in a way because that was a tough task, you know what I mean? Yeah. They kinda of bring Steve Rogers under the modern world. But yeah, I think the Fantastic Four definitely falls victim to definitely falls victim to being too clean cut. So my topic is <laughs> <laughs> literally said Fantastic Four and then use my dogma. No, but the Fantastic Four film came out and it wasn't getting great reviews or whatever, but it's come out then that the studio interfered with Josh Trank Mm -hmm. uh, and he actually put out a tweet, I think like hours before the film actually came out and said, like, I had a vision for this film and that's not my vision kind of thing. And it was quickly taken down. (laughs) I'm surprised at this point for the amount that he said, I'm surprised he has not unspunded it. Because it seems like he's completely well, I, disconnected. I, I, from the I don't think product. he can really do that in this day and age. I mean, like everybody knows he was fucking director. No, like, but I mean, like it's it's not even so much like obviously people know Josh Trank directed. But, but what's the, the whole, point in doing the, it? No, the whole Alan's money thing. It's it's almost like a principle thing. You know nah. what I mean? It's like I do not believe, and this was not my vision for the finished product. I literally will not even put my name to it. It's definitely not a thing where oh Jesus, everybody knows obviously Josh Trank directed fucking Fantastic yeah. Four. But it's anyway, more, uh, I just wanted to talk about studio interference mm-hmm. and. Uh, just well, no, just what you think about shoes interfering with directors uh, making a film, and do you think there's ever times where it they have a certain right to kind of say something, or do you just think it should be completely director's vision? Blah blah. Oh, it's a tough one. It's it's, it's a big balancing act. I, I think yeah. I, I don't think half the films ever would be made if it was like purely a director's choice, right? Mm. But at the same time, I think that like you know when producers actually start meddling with the story if they mess with the aesthetic it's fine right like right this doesn't look palatable to audiences i don't i don't think it's fine but it's 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 so hard it's so hard to say this in a broad consensus because every film is different but yeah but that thing this thing like you you 
yourself like have a big opinion on this and you've tried to like make fun of them so i i have literally i'm i'm literally in public and i i don't know how the process works right mm. so i go like i i don't really my opinion i don't really know i don't really care if they've like messed with the aesthetic lot but when they start messing with the story and yes. start like putting yeah. stuff in that's where it starts to like annoy me and like you know that it's not really their area. I mean, there's, there's the yeah, it's not their area. Sorry, Shan, can you just explain to me, again, as a member of the viewing audience, I've, I've never quite understood, and I, I don't want this to drag on, but I've never quite understood what the difference between a producer and a director is. I, I, I understand That's what a director a great is. great question. Okay. Uh, a director, essentially, is... Uh, he has the vision for sorry, the film. Sorry, sorry, just to stop you. Can you please start from the thing? What's the director of photography? And then go right through to director and producer. Right. Okay. Well, a cinematographer. Yeah, a cinematographer or a, a DOP. Uh, they essentially frame the visual aesthetic of the film. So they'll work very closely with the director. The director has a a vision. He's got an aesthetic that he wants to create. But the director of photography is usually a, a master of camera work and lights, yeah. and he'll get you know the kind of the visual tone of the film, and he'll yeah. he'll nail yeah. that down. The director, of course, is just. The visionary technically, or well, you know, in a lot of films, maybe not so much the visionary. Where he, what he says is he constructs the whole world and he constructs the whole narrative, and he essentially is the storyteller. You know, in yeah. a very basic fact, he yes. is the storyteller, and you know, most of the times, as Mickey was saying about executive meddling and stuff like that, it's maybe not always the finished product that they would want, but they are the voice of the film essentially. They am, and you know, it's their vision. It's their vision, yeah. And then obviously the screenwriter has you know a bit of say in there with the, the actual script too, which structures the director's vision. Producer is one that a wide lot of people don't really understand. I, I know a wide lot of people don't really understand what the difference between a producer and well, a director. That that gets meddled with. They just slap producer on. Yeah, because sometimes you start seeing a name which is just put on. A lot of time that is just Hollywood backslapping. See if you see like a big actor's name, you know, like it's it's like I, you know, they, they Mark, just get a Mark Wahlberg credit. in um, Boot. Boardwalk Empire. Boardwalk Empire. Or even like Matthew, McCon- Matthew McConaughey and Willie Harrelson in the and second then, series of True yeah. Detective. That's almost like a can They're trying to show a lineage and it's, it's almost just respect to the actors. The I, actors. See. I but, see. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But no, but Mark Did Wahlberg, just going back, like he, he is a big producer. He is like a producer, he, yeah. He, he does get involved with those. Okay, yeah, okay. Sorry, to go back to the True Detective, didn't, um, didn't Ed Harris and Matthew McConaughey also pour Tons of money into that project. I don't know who Ed Harris was not true effectively, but uh, Woody Harrelson. <laughs> I wish it was. <laughs> I fucking wish but it was. Sorry, sorry, I, I love w- Ed Harris. Like, like I said, I watched the hours there this week. <laughs> I, it was it was in my mind. Uh, no, no, sorry, Woody Harrelson. Did they? I mean, like obviously they poured a lot on the characters. I'm not quite sure no, how no, much. Did, did they? They were exactly. They were executive producers as well. I'm not quite sure. A, a, lot, a lot of the times, a producer and executive producer is more a, maybe a, a sort of financial thing, and they don't have any exactly, control. That's, of the, that, that's, the, that's, the that's my point. Doesn't executive producers like? Isn't that their their role to like literally fund the thing? Not essentially. It's, it's a bit of a vague term. It's a bit of a grey area with executive producer because in, in some forms, an executive producer. Even going back to the basic definition of what a producer is, a producer is essentially the person who puts the resources in place for the director and the rest of the crew to make the film. See, it's it's. I think it's 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 about vacancy and the money men. They're not just the money men. They do a lot of the organizing. Yeah. They've got see, big yeah. teams see, working see, behind see, them. See, it's, it's like me, absolutely no concept of how the film industry works. Right, I, my image is the director like, does everything on the set and blah blah blah, blah and the actors acting, and. 
producers to me are just like someone like bankrolls it and then doesn't touch the product and yeah. no 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 because the thing is a lot of people don't really realise how much the producers actually have an influence at the end of the day in any film it just depends on producer or what film you're working on but it's crazy to say but the producer actually at the end has more power than the That's director because he is essentially the studio's eyes on the set and he is the representation of the studio who obviously want to keep things in check they want to keep things on budget to see how the money's been spent and not well, even just so they see how the money's been spent, but obviously they do test audiences, they do preview viewings. They have a certain studio, and the producers have a certain oh, idea. I, I literally, no. I literally have no concept of how producers work, right? And that's something that I'd love to see you actually going into just to show. Well, no, how but just just to say kind of what Sham's on. But at the end of the day, it's the producer's film. Yeah. The producers pay him for the film. The director, they've hired the director to direct this film. It's the producer's film. They own the film. Mm-hmm. When they won best, when they won best picture at the Academy Awards, the, producer. the producers get the awards. Not the it's not right. the director. Right. That's why George Clooney got one for Argo. Is, is that why there's sometimes when we were talking about World War Z a couple of days, yeah. uh, a few podcasts ago, yeah, the great, <laughs> the great. Uh, conflict between brad pitt and the director and the director because he was the producer as well which is very strange because that that, that's 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 a a very kind of distinct scenario in the fact that not only was he the lead actor but he was also the producer because it's plan b and it's a company and it's it's kind of strange it just shows maybe i wouldn't say how nice a guy brad pitt is but you know how he can kind of work with people because he could easily just sack that director if he didn't agree with what that director was doing but he doesn't you know he chooses they work along with that's shocking in itself though But they, they go back to what I wanted to get on day about shoe interference was uh, me and Chan have talked about shoe interference before and a thing he brings up a lot is uh, Spider Man three. Mm-hmm. And and but what I what what I would say is how Spider Man three differs from what happened with Fantastic Four is that but before they even start write, writing the film, the producers and directors they meet up and they decide what's going to go and do that film yeah. and what happened with Spider-Man 3 is uh, Sam Raimi one day do Sandman as the yeah. film and the producers go no we want Venom yeah because obviously Venom is the most popular villain and they want the crowbar man and they were dying yeah. for even the first two films just, so it was just to get more money in uh, it's just yeah. he's a big character and like everybody's kind of waiting for Venom yeah. in a way and it's just, box office. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. he's a big Spider-Man villain so they said no we want Venom and so Sam, Sam Raimi had to put Venom in but I, I would put the failure of Spider-Man 3 down to Sam Raimi because he, he knew that going and creating that whole film. Mm-hmm. So he he like, he like could have just focused more on it because like, he still had Sandman in there and then there was yeah. the new Green Goblin. And I think that's what most people would say is the problem with Spider-Man 3. It's just there's too many so villains bloated. and it's, it's unfocused. It's bloated as fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because obviously one villain if your villain is good enough should be enough the main antagonist especially for Venom villain. which is a, one of the biggest villains Venom is essentially just he is the bad Spider-Man so he's the yeah. perfect he's literally the perfect foil yeah. like, you know what I mean literally the perfect foil whereas then they bloated and fair enough maybe sometimes you can whack in a, a secondary antagonist or you know maybe even a yeah. secondary protagonist depending on what the narrative is but they throw in two others who are a complete afterthought in that film you actually forget that uh, James Franco's new version of Green Goblin is even there and then he pops up you know kind of in the middle and the end and there's no narrative need for him to be there like just as a side point 
when they find his cardboard cutout and this is the end. <laughs> it's like, uh, oh, it's your fucked yeah. up face from Spider-Man 3. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, what, what happened with Fantastic Four, though, is Josh Trank met with the producers and they agreed on a vision and what the film was going to be. Mm-hmm. But then they were, go- they were in pre-production, just about to go into production. And then Fox came to him and said, right, cut out these three set pieces. We want to cut the budget on the film. So now Josh Trank's scrambling. He he has to try and fucking cut the like three set pieces in the film. Like that's all the action in the film, basically. And so now he's scrambling, trying to like make changes and just trying to make a good film. And then the producers just were kept getting involved. And by the end, like they were editing the thing. It yeah. wasn't Josh Trank, which is a disgrace. And so that's that is bad studio interference. Mm-hmm. But in the case of Spider Man Three, I say this, the producers have a certain right in the beginning because at, at the end of the day, it is their it is film, film, and they need to try and do whatever they but think they can they, do. They, they don't care about like some of them the artistic they, vision they, they, they want to like they, they want, want to get their money back see, yeah, because I, it's their I, I, money that's why franchises have become I, I personally think that's a sweeping generalisation saying that the producer cares about his film Harvey, know, Wein- I, Harvey I, Weinstein is notorious for caring so much about his films I know it he is, is a sweeping he is almost you that's know, why be, MGM films are class MGM Miramax <laughs> But at the same time, I mean, Harvey Weinstein has also been accused of doing exactly what you're talking about now and getting too involved in productions and maybe not letting the right. But I mean, I think it's very harsh and saying because Harvey Weinstein has given so many young directors Uh, a chance and he's given so many of them a voice and he's kind of, because it is, you know, the probably the most famous independent studio yeah he has let he, he's put so many people you know on the on the road to success yeah. i was just gonna ask does that hark back to the whole studio system that hollywood used to do that harvey weinstein's 100 process i mean the, the whole reason and i was actually going to go on this now and it's, it's actually a, it's, it's it's a very interesting sort of uh i would say parallel to what we're chatting about now you're talking about studio interference. So you look back in the 30s yeah. and the 40s and the 50s of the studio system, your MGMs, your Universals, your RKOs, and they had complete and utter control yeah. of the film. Yeah. The director was essentially just a workman who was in there to make sure it was done on time. And fair enough, you had a couple of visionaries in there who they would work with. And that, <coughs> that was good. And I mean, like the likes of John Ford, they would excel, but the studio always had the final say in it because of the Hayes Code and stuff like that, Ryan, yeah. Sorry, I, 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 I can't remember the name of the film. But I watched it there really recently. It's about a producer. Um, it's it's a black and white film. Um, it's about a guy trying to like you know set up the studio, and he gets fired from Paramount, and he be, he comes really really successful. Who's that? Is it a Johnny Depp one? No, no, no uh, you're thinking no, 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 it's way older than that. What is it? But who's else? I, I the actors are too old. I don't know. It's so your depth. Yeah, yeah, way too. <laughs> give me a minute. Aye. <laughs> right. Give me a minute and I might come back now. Aye, aye. Sure, go, go on with what you're saying. Yeah. What I was saying, though, is that obviously the studio system, 30s, 40s, 50s, started to break up wee bit in the 60s, had complete control over a film. Now, obviously, what they would do is they uh, owned everything. They actually had actors on contract then, so you could yeah. work for another studio, and it was a right. whole different setup completely, a whole different business model. Uh, Obviously, you still have visionary directors like Alfred Hitchcock, you know, Howard Hawks, John Ford. Yeah, they all came out there, and the producers would give them leeway because they knew that they were established auteurs, basically. Now, obviously, this before the auteur period even came about, but they were established directors who knew what they were doing. So, can you put a year on that? It's just in general, the studio no, system wait, in general. Wait, at what point did it like become? It starts like, to. No, that's about the altar. That this one getting under the altar theory. Then usually it came about uh, early sixties, I would say, right. with a French new wave. It was uh, Cahiers de Cinema, which was a French uh, 
film magazine. Mm. It was Andre Bazin, who was the head of uh, Care to Cinema, and critics like uh, Francois Truffaut and then Jean-Luc Godard, who then became film directors in their own right, who created this whole auteur theory that they thought that the directors have a very obvious... Certain directors have a very obvious stump on their films. Yeah. They are very obviously the authors, a.k.a. auteurs of their film. Whereas if you really look at... Uh, a workman like the writer who just wants to get it done and on time, he's got no style, he's just literally doing a job. Whereas there's a need certain, a shooter. Yeah, we need a shooter, exactly. <laughs> Whereas there's certain like Hitchcock or, or like Ford, who have a very obvious visual style, a very obvious narrative style, and the way they conduct and the, the, the way they, they pull out their films. So, what's interesting is you have to go, you've got the studio system, who was complete and utter shooting interference, hence why it's called the studio system, and then that started to break up. And then, especially in America, came New Hollywood. New Hollywood is essentially... More dire- directors have slightly more power. Directors have more power. The studio system's falling apart. Uh, New Hollywood's uh, kind of categorized as being Martin Scorsese, George Lucas, Francis right. Ford Coppola, lit Spielberg. Arthur Penn, lit 60s, early 70s, yeah. films like Taxi Driver, American Graffiti, stuff like this comes out, okay. where the director's voice is it's completely and utterly their own, and they completely own the films. And the producers don't really have as much a say in it because the studio system has crumbled. Now, what is interesting is that after a few years of New Hollywood, which was very successful, it's you know created some of the greatest films of all time, like Taxi Driver and The Godfather, and like yeah. that Bonnie and Clyde. The lack of studio interference or producer interference then had a a damaging effect on New a, Hollywood. A backlash. A backlash because these young directors have been able to make their own films, and they had near enough complete creative control and no interference from the studios. They were unprofitable. No, the, their egos then inflated that they thought that they could do anything and there was nobody taking them to the side and saying, right. do you know what? Yeah. Maybe you should do this, maybe you should do that. And that's why then you had films like New York, New York and these basically ego baths for directors that completely flopped and lost a lot of money. So it shows that there should be a balance yeah, yeah. between a studio interference and then the director having his own voice. I, I think a perfect example of that would be the prequel Star Wars yeah, films well, the way George, George Lucas what'd you say George Clooney there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, George Lucas having too much creative control over the prequels like he brought in like the way Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan the original brought in the forces you know some you know kind of like <laughs> as, 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 a, as a life force and everything and then he brings into it fucking muddy chlorians. Yeah, he hated it, that concept. It's, it's just he it, it over explained it. I mean, in the original one, it's it's vague enough, but you kind of right. There's mm. a good side, dark side. Right, let's do this thing. Kinda, and then he just went too much into it. I and then bringing in fucking Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> the bastard of the prequel trilogy. I fucking hate Jar Jar Binks. He's such a cunt. But the, 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 <laughs> you fucking cunt. I'm not like mad in the films. I still have a deep-seated hatred. It's strange, and I think I think like we said before as well, there's a, a very uncomfortable uh, sort of racial stereotyping going on there too, mm. which mm. is not fucking nice whatsoever. And See, it's really just brushed over, like how racist those films can be. Like <laughs> it's like the uh, the the, the perch there too. Yeah, that, that that that's exactly yeah. what I was just about to bring up. Like that that is the most Jewish stereotype you could ever. But you think, how did they get away with this? Like, they they do that. Happen? They do that with Jar Jar Binks as he he's kind of evoking the kind of language that slaves used to have, yeah, yeah. the 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 way the language was represented, but, 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 but and then even with the Trade Federation, they were sort of seen as like the yellow menace. Yeah, 
type it's the awful. way that East Asians were presented back in the day. Like, yeah, oh, that was. It's it's really <laughs> funny, but it's not funny at all. Sorry, <laughs> like, that that could have been a beautiful case study, but they fucked it up so yeah. spectacularly. And yeah, a, yeah. Another thing about yeah. the Phantom Menace, if you remember that uh, when uh, Liam Neeson's character first meets young Anakin, and he's he's talking the. Uh, Obi Wan, like on a wee communicator yeah. thing, that communicator thing is a Beck razor. <laughs> <laughs> a Beck razor? It's a disposable ah. Beck razor. You go back and watch Phantom Menace. He yeah. is holding a shaver in his hand <laughs> That's okay. and talking in there. It doubles up as we trim his beard. He's <laughs> <laughs> not talking to Obi Wan. He never does. <laughs> A nice way actually they, they round this off is uh, we're talking about shooting interference and then you know maybe directors having too much power is a very uh, the call celebre a very infamous example it's Heaven's Gate 1981 or 1982 can't quite remember it's Michael Cimino uh, just hot off the back of the Deer Hunter absolutely fucking amazing film one of my favourites he was seen as the new hot thing in Hollywood so essentially the studio just stood off him and said you know what you do whatever the fuck you want to do we know for a fact it's going to make money you're, you know, you're, a, 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 you're a creative visionary and you can do what you want and so he did and then he submitted his uh, first cut of Heaven's Gate and it was five and a half hours long after I think he had shot 70 or 80 hours of footage for a film that was originally intended Jesus. a film that was originally intended to be two hours long massively over budget I kind of dull storyline in general yeah. because it wasn't executed correctly. When the film was released, because of all the talk of the trouble production and stuff like that, nobody went to see it. I think it had a budget of something like 40 or 50 million and it made fuck all back. Done so badly that it bankrupted United Artists, which was one of the bastions of cinema since cinema's inception, like in the early 1900s in America. I think it was actually founded by uh, Mary Pickford and Charlie Chaplin. So it was like ingrained in the history of cinema. And so one director's ego destroyed. completely destroyed all that lineage and that whole fucking shit. And what's even worse is that all that would have took, and you were talking about shit interference, is one shit executive or one producer just to go, you know what, Michael, I think maybe you're going to be a bit too full on with this. Maybe you should cut that. Maybe you should do this. Just somebody is a guide and late because it just shows that even though a director has a creative vision. So, so, sorry, sorry. At that point, it would have been. Um, conducive for like they actually like you know step in yeah help but nowadays it seems like it's so detrimental well no it's it's a balancing act yeah it's a balancing act and that's exactly the point I'm trying to get at I mean the director should have his vision and he should be able to you know do his artistry but at the same time the studio should still not have him on a leash but maybe just kind of be there just as a guide because sometimes you know yourself egos the way they work a director might think of this as the greatest idea on earth, but it's not, you know, it's not proof checked by anybody else, and it well, needs to be. Well, that it needs to be a collaborative thing. It kind of goes back to what I was saying before, like how with how Spider Man Three differs from Fantastic Four, and they 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 have that initial meeting and they agree upon what the film's going to be, yeah. and then they let the director go off and do what he's going to do. But if he starts veering, if he starts going a bit one way or the other, be, oh, we agreed on this. Yeah get back don't be doing that air kind of thing exactly. and I think that's the way it ideally should work like uh, just a bit of back and forth it has to be a bit of exactly a bit of back and forth that's a perfect yeah, way yeah, yeah, you have to have a good concept first yeah that's it, the whole point which is a problem with like a lot of things like, like you know the concept is very very well created <laughs> and then the production comes in and they go ah 
And then it's really, really, really watery. <laughs> I think it, it all completely depends as well on who the cast and who the crew is, and especially the directors. You know, certain directors obviously carry a lot more weight. If you're a first-time director, you're going to have no say, and the producers are essentially going to ruin your film, yeah. and the studio's going to have everything. That, 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 that's, like, terrible, too. Like, you, you generally think, oh, but the new producer he's wide-eyed and he's gonna yeah gonna exactly let's crush his dream man he's gonna like <laughs> revolutionize everything but like and you, you look forward to that shit and you see the film and you go wow i've seen how the producers have completely and utterly took over this film and what's weird as well th- every bit of his soul out of I think that's why it's even more impressive when you see a young director come out of a studio produce picture and you can see his voice and you can see his stamp on the film because a lot of the times he's had to kind of override or convince producers or the executives or the suits that this is right and it shows I yeah. find talent but yeah next topic but that is, that's, that's nothing to do with like um, that's like independent films always going to do that of course yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, I mean big I, studio I, films I, never gonna I mean studio back you, you do see it the old time but uh, who's topic like holy shit right. are we still on topics yeah <laughs> my, 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 right here hang on hang on Okay, Scruff, you have a topic. Go ahead. Yeah, my, my topic is um, about cameos, right? And I find that in some films, and this is, again, absolutely absurd, but, like, I find that in Sharknado 3... <laughs> Sharknado 3. Sharknado 3. I was watching Sharknado 3. I was, like, cooking dinner at the same time, so I was, like, bouncing back and forth, like, watch this film on sci-fi. Um, <laughs> I love slopped on, on sci fi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, You're not going to find it on TNT. Look, see, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's truly a truly a sci-fi. It's truly a terrible film, right? But it is the best of the Sharknados. Like <laughs> they, they, <laughs> that is that is the praise. That is <laughs> praise I've ever heard of. Yeah, absolutely not. You, yeah. Uh, a man that has never watched all three, you don't know what you're talking see, about. See, see, <laughs> see these <laughs> three bags of vomit that one's supposed to I love Scroft just said to me, uh, we might have seen films, but you haven't seen that three shark like, what do you really know? <laughs> is there enough sharks in the world? Dude, the thing, the thing, the thing is, sorry, the thing is, it's, it's absolutely bullshit, right? It's absolutely bullshit. Yeah, well, it's made to be bullshit. Yeah, yeah, of course. But they've actually put effort into like making the film in the third one. Oh. oh. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's the thing. Like, like The third one's actually... You're like watching and going, oh shit, this isn't just an amateur bullshit right. fest. They've actually... Oh, they're actually trying. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you, you would think that when you're making a film, one of the main things you would like to do is actually try and make a film. <laughs> so, so, so they know what they're doing, right? right? And the, the problem I had with it was um, I was like watching it and there was a load of cameos in it, right? And you know everybody that like was a cameo was gonna die. It was gonna get killed by a shark, right? And that took me out of the film. So I was like really that's it. the best part was George R. R. Martin, right? George R. R. Martin was in the cinema in the film in Universal Studios and I was like, When's he gonna die? When's he gonna die? When's he gonna die? When's he gonna die? I'm dying to see him die. I'm dying to see him because he's killed so many people I love. <laughs> Break the hearts of every Game of Thrones fan because he would yeah. never finish that last exactly game. Right. Did, so, did he get up and say, "Oh, I'm away home to finish the last Game of Thrones book"? And, then he died. <laughs> and everybody rejects. <laughs> Absolutely not. He gets killed horrifically. Right? <laughs> right? And like every like every celebrity that's in the film 
gets killed, right? Uh, and I was like, I was like, watching this film while cooking dinner, right? And I kept dipping back, going, "Kill Tari, <laughs> <laughs> kill Tari, please kill Tari." And Tari is one of the main characters, and apparently, because I didn't watch it to the end, she does not die. <laughs> I just get to you spiffing. You haven't. You, but, ha- you haven't but, seen all but, three Sharknado. But, but 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 there's a there's a Twitter account that is apparently going that you can vote to kill Tari. In Sharknado Four, she must Just, just Dom coming on there is like, yeah, in Sharknado Four, not yeah. just the kill Tari. Oh, no, no, <laughs> for the listener of your list, yeah. in general, yeah. in general for the listener, the world has not turned on the Hunger Games here. Like, <laughs> yeah. we're still very much based on in reality. So, so my 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 uh, topic is when does um, cameos become disruptive to the rest of the film? Well, I I thought I wanted to say you were talking about cameos and stuff, and like obviously it's it's a long lineage of director cameos, and Quentin Tarantino does it a bit, mm-hmm. and his cameo in Django Unchained just so bad. was it's awful. Because <laughs> he's not Australian, he's, uh, as I know. <laughs> I thought the, that's the one. Thing <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's just, it's so bad. And you're just like, why are you doing Quentin? But you know that's turning it over. It, and again, I don't want to keep using this phrase today, but that is an absolute ego bath. That's just Tarantino. But you know what? It's my fault. I can write myself on. I'll I, be this well, Australian. Actually, 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 actually. Sorry, actually, sorry, sorry, sorry. Again, again, again. I have no, I have no, like, thing against, um, like, Peter Jackson, right? writing himself into all the films and he like eats a carrot and like he's standing there and it's really really shite but it, it doesn't right, affect right. the narrative it does have nothing in the narrative right yeah now. Quentin Tarantino was coming Tarantino's up and being a part character. of the story <laughs> but no the I'd, fuck out of me. A, a thing about that role though he, well, he didn't actually cast himself in that role initially it was supposed to be Jogo Levitt really? yeah but then he so much I think uh, he, he was busy doing his own film then Don John <laughs> And so I'd, maybe it was like a last minute thing. It's like, all right, then, geez, that, sure, I'll do it. Why, why not? Kind yeah. of a bit of crack. So actually, maybe you can't blame too much for that one, but still, it's pretty bad. There's one for me. Uh, it's obviously Hitchcock. Hitchcock, you see, well, he's famously cameoed in every one of his films. And back in the earlier days, you know, ones that were a, a bit more in like a, a sort of romp and they weren't uh, kind of rooted in that uh, master of suspense that he was, he was then known for, like the, the Lady Vanishes and the 39 Steps and stuff like that. He was always in there. And then when his films got a wee bit more challenging and he tried to be a wee bit more intellectual, like a vertical and rear window, he made a point and insisted of actually cameoing at the very start of the film. Yeah. So the fans or the audience wasn't waiting for him to cameo because that would take them out completely of this huge intricate narrative that he built up. So like one of the ones that like really takes me out of the film and I find that it's like detrimental to the entire thing is like Stan Lee's cameos in all of the Avengers things, right? And I've said, I was talking to you before about this. Some I think are beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. I think they're class, right? One, to be exact, is in The Amazing Spider Man, right? Where Stan Lee is a librarian, right? And he's standing and he ha- he doesn't hear the chaos going hey, on in the background. He has his big wire to set phones on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's big big wire. Just... he has the big wire to set phones. 
And he's like, but Dude. like they're obviously supposed to be like really old, like big headphones, but they are wireless. So, 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 <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. So this, he's like doing this, Eric, and he doesn't realize what's on the background. I think that's a great cameo. Nah, that's a. And, and again, like Shan, Shan has Shan has said this to me too. A great cameo is when like he comes down to him in New York City and it's at the end. At the end of Avengers, yeah. This is like you know, superheroes in New York. Give oh, me a God. break! Yeah, he's always Give me a break! I, I love that New York. because yeah. it, it's nice. But it, it's almost like because we handprint because without him there wouldn't have been these superheroes yeah. in New York, and it's just a nice thing. Yeah. I, I always just like that line. I, I know, maybe I'm reading too much but, in it. No, it's nice. Same, at the same time, there's like cameos that he's made. He's made that are terrible. Like he's in like the Spider-Man film, and like he, tr- he tells Spider-Man a very integral part of like, yeah, the story like, I, like, like, you, you shouldn't have him a part of the story yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not like I'm a mole rat like, which and is again, exactly again, yeah. <laughs> again, again Stan Lee is not part of that it's the writing staff yeah yeah oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I mean it's not Stan Morris, Lee Morris I love like, Morris he again had no big Marvel fall he had no part <laughs> 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 he had no part in it he literally went there and he like I showed up. Now. Ah, he was I'll on do, a black I'll do my lines. <laughs> and he was, I mean, like he was Kevin Smith's idol, like so. It was just nice that they actually kind of convinced him. To but do it. if he did meet Stanley, you would just ask him about superheroes junk. Like, ah, <laughs> <fact>. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what I love too is like Stanley. He just seems like the nicest. He he, he just wanted to yeah. be a grand or something. He just seems like the nicest He's man of all time. Have him come around. Stanley, I don't know what I would do. I'd literally go up to him and say. How's it going? And he goes, I'm in, 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 i and all in off, our special guest tonight, Andrew Jesse. Actually, <laughs> walked in here now. It's shaped me togs. Anyway, next no, topic. So I. There's but, a strange old but, man. But, but, <laughs> <laughs> How's he got on? What's his angle? The, the, the sad what are you doing? Thing, the sad thing is, if we asked him, he probably would come here. <laughs> I'll, I'll tweet them tomorrow. Actually, you know what? There, I'm just, I'm, I'm just suggesting he would definitely not come here. Wait, <laughs> you know what? I live in New York. I'm lethal. Uh, fucking no, if, if we go to him, like... No, Mickey, it's not going to happen. Like. That's, that's fucking... Yeah, I, mean, I know I was aim high, but you're just kidding. Right, you're no, going to yourself now. I'm going to find out what Stan Lee drinks and buy a bottle, and he's going to drink that bottle someday. <laughs> to, be fair, to, to be fair, for the equipment that we have right Picture now... Has danger ball? Like, Cristal or something like that? To be, fair, to be fair, for the equipment that we Cristal, have right now... Cristal, is Stan Lee a rapper? <laughs> drinks Cristal. I just say, is everything about Shan? That's the fanciest drink you can think of, Cristal. Cristal, like, Remy like, Martin. Well, I mean, like, Eminem's song, Stan, is about Stan Lee, like, you know, what, no? <laughs> <laughs> Stan Lee went mental, murdered his brother. <laughs> 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 can, can I do a second topic? No. Second topic? No, we're moving on. One topic, yeah, we're, we're rolling it. Dom- I'm not doing one. D- Dominic the Dominic. Right. <laughs> yeah, reference to an old nickname that the people at school gave me. Thank you, Mickey. Can Thank down FA Cup. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get further inside, My... listen to episode 14 of Let's Talk More Games. <laughs> <laughs> I think was 14, maybe 15. Yeah, My my topic's very general. Um, it actually goes back to the film that I watched and I wanted to ask you about horror films. Mm. Now, 
the horror genre is something that Bammy I fucked us. Oh, they save us for a Halloween episode. <laughs> I'm taking oh, out. I'm taking out. I'm taking out. It's 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 a genre that I just avoid completely really? most of the time because I get really bored bored with horror films. Yeah. Um, oh, if <laughs> if there's only maybe we mentioned this last week or maybe the week before that where I had a nightmare watching Twenty Eight Days Later. Mm. Oh, yeah. The face comes up at the window. The only other films that have really scared me or really like pulled that sense of dread inside me is the Japanese Ringu yeah. not the American remake yeah. um, the Spanish Wreck yes where at the very end like again Wreck is just a standard zombie film but it's a much more claustrophobic mm-hmm. sort of sense of part and it's all handheld aspect too. Yeah. it's actually one of the few times that you see the kind of phone footage handheld yeah. thing done it actually uses that to its benefit <laughs> perfectly yeah. excellent uh, to the point where at the very end of the film you know where it's sort of that you know that twist that it takes yeah. um i was wa- i was watching at the cinema at the time and me and my friend were watching and my girlfriend at the time she was so scared of everything she wouldn't even walk past graveyards Jesus. but we had to double lock all the doors in in the f- in the house you may find this strange i'm sorry to interrupt you know it's a very very quick thing but even though you're kind of, you get these irrational fears after watching a horror film or seeing yeah. a scary image or yeah. something like that. Do you not get a sort of strange buzz up or two? I think that is the main appeal no, of horror films. Right. Is that not like the main appeal of horror films? That they can leave this kind of weed last and work? No, I mean, uh, obviously uh, that's why people well, go, oh, if it was a very basic thing and horror films were really fucking scary uh, and people don't want to be scared, then uh, nobody would go see horror films. Uh, it's uh, all about the buzz of being scared, not being uh, in control. I, I think that's what I it can, is. I can, look, yeah. I can say... This, like I massively goes these goes with these things right and like the bet like the last one I went it was the um the woman in black right yeah yeah Little Hammer. and I hate horror films and I don't really like Daniel Radcliffe but fuck and when I went <laughs> when I went to see that I was like oh that's what it's like to be scared in a cinema yeah and I, I genuinely enjoyed it. I thought it was class, right? And I would never go see that shit. No. I think it's... Like, we were talking about many moons ago on the first podcast, we, done, we were talking about the, the communal thing about comedy and watching comedy in a cinema. Yeah. And there's kind of a laugh in the front row and it just elevates in, like a, a sort of Mexican wave up to the back row. And you would only laugh out loud I think personally, unless it's really funny, at a comedy film, when you're in a crowd, you seem to laugh more. Yeah, humour is definitely something that's more it's shared. Contagious in a way. But is, like, is, yeah. is, is, is it the same with fear? It's I don't know. I, 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 I think say, so. I think the same is with fear. Yeah. I think you. Because see if you have people more. gasping or panting or stuff like that, or people jumping out of their seats, I, I think it affects you too. I, mean, I, I don't do that. I nervous. don't do that when you. you, just you, you, you no. Oh. <laughs> I shit myself at night time. I had a. A nightmare. Night terror shits. Because we're so... Yeah, no, of dawns. <laughs> because we're so far north, up in the northern hemisphere, and the the sun comes in quite early, I put, my, I put my overalls over a curtain round of one of my bedroom windows. So I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought a man was trying to get in because it was my overalls. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was a man for a boot for a head. <laughs> The boot man was coming to kick me to death. Uh, have you never heard about the boot man of Ardmore? No? <laughs> but when you know when people jump, I I never seem to jump. I I, 
I'm not. I'm not trying to be. Oh, I'm, I'm so fucking mad. Fuck no, you. You do, But you can. You can. You know when it's coming. And yeah. I think that happens a lot, and especially sort of the Hollywood produced horror films. When but I that, when I still... think about Ringu, the Japanese, just the, the the tension. You know, when they're down in the well, and he thinks, and then it comes up. Yeah. It the flashes like the the ghost comes up, but it's just the corpse. Yeah. And then at the very end of the film, where it starts to crawl out, I was actually had to turn off, left thinking about like Jesus, the a monster could just crawl out of my television. But I mean, like that's certainly the quality of the film as well, because obviously a bad horror film, which is formulaic. A bad horror film, which is formulaic. I'll say it again. Are you okay, I, uh, no, just stop okay. it. Yeah. It's like Scruff got possessed or something <laughs> in the middle of it. You're on the hard shot. <laughs> he just starts freaking out. Everyone's freaking out. I just don't want to. So that's like the classic Bully Collie. You know what I mean? He knew he was on like a hike when he was in that phone box and he couldn't get out. <laughs> <laughs> in a <laughs> a first in a first in, oh, sorry in, in, a, in a let's talk more movies first Ryan Scruff McGargle has had to leave the, the blanket <laughs> because he's just gone too mad <laughs> <laughs> essentially like he said I said in a let's talk more movies first our staff composer Ryan Scruff yeah. McGregor has had to leave halfway through because he's too fucked. He cannot handle the rest of this podcast. Yes, he's away downstairs for a sit down, and there up some cold uh, water in his face. He's he suffered from the blue chair curse. Oh, That's yes. where I was sitting last there's this, week. There's this theory, and Don brings up correctly over the past couple but he weeks. W- he wasn't sitting in the blue chair last week. But he no, was sitting in that, that position. It's that position. It's that position. We have a theory here at Last Talk Movies that there is a chair at the corner of the tent. And it seems that the person who sits in that chair every week ends up the most fucked. Yes. And Ryan McGargle has fucking just he's, continued that pattern. He's by fallen victim. <laughs> Yet again. Oh, he, he's, he's fallen, gotten up and fallen again. Hold on. Hang on, he's back. Oh, That's he's coming back. <laughs> he's sh- back. Are you sure? And he's on Are the water. Sure? <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, you said yeah, that. Yeah, you're going to have a little bleacher curse now. He's back. Ryan, any words for the listeners? Uh, where, where are we at? <laughs> where are let's, you at? let's just continue. Uh, yeah. We were talking about horror films, and I believe Harry wanted to go into one because it relates to your topic this week. Mm. I wanted to extend on yours, Dom, the, about horror films. Like I love the horror films. Yeah. What you said, the reason why I enjoy horror films, it does give you a wee... That we kick. Yeah, it's a buzz. You know, it's the suspense. Yeah. But I'm talking about horror films of today versus the ones of the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, you love John Carpenter. Oh, you know, yes. The original Halloween Nightmare on Elm Street. Lots of Wes Craven. Yeah, well, I suppose, yeah, yeah. Wes Craven and John Carpenter and uh, the directors of that ilk. What's kind of interesting is that films back then uh, and the likes of Wes Craven and John Carpenter. It was more based around the supernatural, or it was more based around a boogeyman or, or a bad thing. And I think recent horror, we went from uh, Gordo a few years back, you know, the likes of uh, Gordo, Joel Edgerton. <laughs> <laughs> we went from Gordo a few years back at the start of like the two thousands of uh, the likes of Saw and Hostel, which was essentially just 
gory, gory porn. Yeah. It was just how graphic and how gratuitous can we be? It, in the yeah. end, you don't use exactly. Don't you're you're desensitized to it. Then yeah. it's like how much can we shock the senses? How how many bodies can we mutilate? And then after that, there was a kind of trend, obviously after paranormal activity of the found footage horror. Uh, you were talking about Rick earlier on, and Rick yes. kind of kickstarted that. I think Rick was a big influence for paranormal activity. I'm like, yeah. well, actually, don't quote me because I'm not. I'm not sure. Blair Witch was the main one, obviously. Blair Witch was the main influence for that, any of those. That final scene of Blair Witch, and, and like staring at the wall, where he's standing in the corner. That is horrifying. Yeah, and it's so simple. It's literally just like. Two or three and people the, just the, staring at the, the wall. Bu- the build up to that, you can just hear oh, shrieks and man. screams in the woods. I grew up next to a wood when you're a child and you could hear the foxes making noises. Yeah. A horrible sound. It's just it, terrible, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. It, it really plays on those kind of primordial fears. That shot still sticks to me. And I think it's because it's literally something that you could see in every life. Just picture you walked into a room and it was silence and you just find like a friend staring mm-hmm. in the corner of a room and just completely static. It's just it's an unsettling sort yes, of motion. Yes. There's something unsettling it's about it. So. It's greatness as that that can't be done again. Aye, I yeah. mean that that is a like one when time you, thing. When you when you watch that, you, like, you literally like sit and go, ooh. I know. Yeah, I, I, rem- exactly. I remember. I remember. Actually, that's the feeling that even though Mister McGonagall here is has fallen victim to the blue check, that is exactly <laughs> the feeling you want to get from a horror. It's just like the hairs. If you yeah. could, if you could vocalize the feeling of your spine and horror film it's not it's not even the overstood it or you know maybe get get, get too deep about it but i actually think it creates like a sort of wee moment or a, a very distinct memory in your life because yeah. i literally remember the first time that i saw the blair witch and saw that scene like, likewise 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 i bought my mother this this is the sort of kid i was you could probably tell that it was a weird kid and it was really in the film i bought my mother a a uh pirated VHS copy of the Blair Witch Project for her birthday <laughs> more so because I wanted to see it you remember when it was released 99 yeah, was everybody was talking about it and everyone was like oh it's real and people I remember I, people, people said thought it was, it was real, real. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean and it was just, it was a masterclass of marketing because I've never like, been I've never been so terrified by yeah. a marketing campaign. Before. And I think that was all down as well the marketing because they no. they actually made people believe it was real and because it was the dawn of the internet and they were some of the first filmmakers to use the internet yeah. as a tool, people actually believed it because all oh, the internet this newfangled thing oh it must be true all the shit coming off it, but uh, it creates this wee buzz in you and it's strange because you had Gornham you had obviously like we are just talking about we uh, you know Paranormal Activity and the Blair Witch Project you had the found footage but it's weird and I talked about this again harking back to an older podcast I talked about a recent release this year It Follows and there's a kind of common trend that I've noticed in the past year and a half two years that Hollywood seems to be going back to the old themes and the old favourite of just actually Supernatural or the Boogeyman sort of horror uh, they've done Gornham yeah. They've done found footage and they're going back in the back to basics essentially. Yeah, it follows as essentially they're doing the whole sort of jump out like all of a sudden there's something over your yeah. shoulder in the dark. Jump scare stuff, but, yeah. But it gets to the point where you've seen it so much that you don't really if you know what you're Respect. in for, if you know you're gonna watch a horror film, you you, you kind of expect it, as you yeah. were saying, Harry. You kind of expect it to come. One of the greatest well, I don't even think that Event Horizon is a true horror film. No. It's like a Sci-fi it's a, horror. It's a horror film for an original. Yeah. But it's just, <laughs> um, it's just that a little, I don't know, maybe five seconds of where they pull back. They pull back the footage of where the old space crew, where the old space crew like jump dimensions, and then they sort of arrive in hell, and it, like they're basically ripped. they're all possessed. 
and this is the most horrifying thing is they're literally trying to rape each other to death while mm. mangling each other and it's only like five or ten seconds it's just that little snippet and there's the commander who says something in Latin, which is, I don't know. It I, I, like can I, I actually remember what he says. I actually watched this only a couple of weeks ago. It was um, something. Put your liber, Liberati to Tame ex inferis. And what's that mean in English? <laughs> is it translated? Um, save yourselves from hell. Yeah. Right, that's yeah. That's See, if you had said that and then Scruff stood up, I would have freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in all fairness, Scross possessed by a different spirit. Like, you know, like I enjoyed that too much. That—that's the kind of horror. I don't think if you, as you were talking about Harry, when you go back to sort of seventies, eighties, sort of slasher, now, uh, Harry Harris. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if they can. You can remake that because maybe it was it was fresher, more in. You're more new. If you watch, yeah. watch or any remakes, like, more. Like, like I've watched remakes of Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the Thirteenth, and Barnsley Busters Three and all. What? <laughs> you can continue. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, Leatherface. You know, I see in the last one they made it maybe about two years ago or something. It's just called Texas Chainsaw in 3D. Yeah, fucking bollocks. But that's just it's, it's an ultimate just a, a kind of a money monster as we dubbed them a couple weeks ago. Just a money monster is the fact that they're using a source material that people know was kind of violent at the time and it's a notorious film. And then they're also crowbarring and you know the new trend at the time of 3D, which was kind of making a bit of a comeback and still is you know a, a big thing I suppose. But I don't know what you're saying, Dom. I do agree with you, but at the same time, it's all down to the quality of the film. You know what I mean? You're saying like, oh, can they make a new? It's totally up to the director, so like the producer and the crew to mix on that maybe is formulaic or maybe has gone a bit stale to reinvigorate. You know what I mean? So, and you could say it about any genre, any artwork in general. It's a very basic they, fucking, you Horror know, films yeah. always come out around Halloween time. Do they? You always Well, like... I never know. <laughs> all, all, the, all the Saw films came out at Halloween, for example. Uh, Yes, and sure. they tend to, you know, there's always like a, a one or two or three version. Do you know in the original? There's never a remake of anything. Do you know that obviously oh, Carpenter, no, Ca- Carpenter's that. masterpiece Halloween? Do you know when that was actually released? Halloween, St. Paddy's Day. Really? No, that was a fun. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know the film Leap Year wasn't released in a leap year? What a fucking disgrace! Which just makes it more of a stupid. Film. They shouldn't release that any year though. You know what I mean? Because it's awful. What a fucking Irish stereotype that is. But it's it's Dublin. And then just fizz apparently. That's what that's what Hollywood's version but of Ireland does. Amy Adams is lovely. Oh, she's <laughs> lovely. So, have we covered that? Yeah, I would say let's round it out here with some recommendation. My it, it was due with Connor, the one I was going to talk about earlier. <laughs> the Sorry, you, can, you cannot pronounce the name of Connor. that. Connor. Connor in your accent. It's just the best. <laughs> Connor. Connor. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the best way to pronounce it in your eyes. Connor. I saw him. me a fighter. See, in France, they couldn't actually call it that. In France, uh, their translation of it is The Wings of Hell. Because <laughs> con- what? No, the re- reason why is because con- Surely that would work. No, yeah. because see, con in, is French slang or vagina. What? That's the reason why they so it's funnier. <laughs> <laughs> Funny hair. <laughs> no, there is there, there is a 
There's none of that. Scrubs are disgusting. There's no, there's no fan here in Connor. What's that about? <laughs> but uh, no, there's there's this TV show. Oh, I can't even mind the name of it. I think it was called like Fuzz TV or something. Uh-huh. It was, it what was, the way you're thinking about fan here and you want the Fuzz TV like? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was, it, was, it, was, it was about these these three Muppets living with each other. But uh, one one of the not Muppets, sorry, puppets. That's just what they say. Yeah, <laughs> three three puppets. Is this is what Kevin done when he was skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> Three puppets loving each other, but one of them was like he—he he was like just like a kind of lethargic, like he was always banging. I was gonna say banging wings, <laughs> <laughs> Bang, banging gears and all that. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine being in the air and having sex with a prostitute. <laughs> like, he's giving this whole speech. He's like, I got it. The flying fuck. <laughs> but then, but then he says, like, I was going to call it Aer Lingus, but that was already taken. <laughs> okay, and we'll move on to recommendations. Who wants to go first? I'll, I'll go first. What the fuck? Yeah. Dominic. Type something out, does he? The right. Dominic. At least I can do it. <laughs> oh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just in my head for some oh, reason. At least I can do a recommendation this week. <laughs> yes, yes. Sorry, can you, can, you can, can you say recommendation? I can say recommendation. Loud and clear. Recommendation. 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 <laughs> sorry. Okay. My recommendation is actually a HBO made film which would... A TV movie? No, yes. we're not having oh, that. No, no, no. It's, it's good enough. It's, good enough. So it's, it's a biopic. And I a wish, biopic? I wish I could go into sort of more of the hero's journey about because you could you could really reference like the hero's journey. For all those fans on the edge of their seats as well, don't worry, the hero's journey will be back next week when Colin Herm returns. Yeah, all of the stages of the hero's journey you could answer and analyse for this film. But Bessie Smith, I don't know if you've heard about her she was a uh, best to say a blues jazz musician in the the 20s and then going into the 30s and it's just her the story of her life Mm -hmm. she's she's she was the woman who influenced billy holiday so when you try to think of sort of popular music and how it's grown since then she's very unheard of is the full name bessie smith bessie it's just called bessie Bessie? okay starring queen latifah and bessie smith And you, I don't really like biopics that much because you can just fucking pick. Yeah. Quite whitewashed. Yeah, you can you can do it all. They, they you can pick all heroes. They tend to ignore the flaws of the actual mm-hmm. person. But yeah. uh, she had a really interesting life. I found for a woman, like an African American woman, or who grew up in the early nineteen hundreds, the nineteen twenties, and that period of American history. And what she represented as well, for, for as an African American, she yeah. was, she really. I, won't, I I can't say that she was pushing for equal rights or anything like that. Uh, it's more that uh, she was unapologetic for yeah. being black, yeah. which is really important. You know, it's amazing. She shouldn't have yeah, had to be apologetic. She's, yeah, she's very unapologetic for being black, but she's also very unapologetic to the kind of things that she would sing about, which is. Things that very working class style, mm-hmm. like in today's world, we can sort of sing about sex and yeah. sing about sort of the seedier and the more lewd yeah. things. We're not much more loveless as that. Yes, 
that that was always hushed up and quietened down yeah and she seemed to be the progenitor of well one of the progenitors of that but one of at the time one of the the greatest uh singers of what they termed race records jesus which was which you think race records that's kind of strange at that point when the lp was just coming into fashion just before the great depression because it kind of died off with the 1929 crash and then through the 30s and wall street uh through the second world war sorry that she she really did lay the foundations for all sort of female singers i've yeah. had and it was it was very interesting so and it was interesting because she was bisexual and she oh. actually she actually lived a kind of life that would be more more accepted now but if you think of like the narrative of when we think of the past you're like oh you're a husband and a yeah, wife and children yeah. especially being an african-american at that time yeah, she had a so fucking resentful she, she had a husband she had a guy kind of girlfriend and that everybody lived together the girlfriend had a husband as well even though there were sort of lesbian relationships going mm. on and her husband was having an affairs her first husband was having an affairs and she was having an affairs and they seemed to make it work yeah for for a duration of the film and a great soundtrack as well like a, a, fil- a song that she recorded in 1928 empty bed blues i've been listening to it's great just to listen to when mm-hmm. you have those empty bed blues. Yeah, <laughs> only thing that's beds up, I got can just. It's twenty fifteen as well. And it was directed by a man named, I think his name was D. Reese. All right. And it's a HBO TV, made for TV film, but it's HBO again, so there's a bit more yeah. depth there. A bit scope, yeah. a bit more scope, and a bit more depth. And I really recommend that film to someone right. to watch. Sweet, that sounds good. Ryan Scott McGargo. Uh, Again, like I, I literally just want to like uh, say, people that don't want to watch like black and white films yeah. should try and you should watch Sally Seventeen. It's super. That's an excellent. Film. It's just so nice and it's it's comedic and you'll enjoy it. And it's also deeply caustic and and very very yeah, yeah, modern yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah, in many ways, and it it it, it plays out like a modern film. Oh, big time! And uh, essentially, just to add on that, just watch all of Billy Wilder's films because he's a yeah, fucking yeah. genius. That that's all I want to say. Would, would you describe him as a wild man? Ray Harryhausen. Yeah, I, I listen, you follow up. So Please say it's Jason the Argonauts. Now after, after, <laughs> after, after that, after reference, just give me. Anyway, now can I? What's your recommendation? It's a new film. It's a new Guy Ritchie film, The Man from Uncle. Yeah, have oh, you seen yeah. it already? I have indeed. Good it's stuff. On Wednesday night in the Dublin Road. Excellent. Um, is that the road in Dublin? No, it's oh, not. Okay. There's only one. The road right. to Dublin. <laughs> it's a rocky the one. Golden road to Dublin. <laughs> 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 right, um, it's a philosophy film. Like, I thought, you know, it's a typical Guy Ritchie film. It has all the, you know, that kind of, whatever it is, that kind of, kind of Sherlock, snappy dialogue. I kind of Sherlock Holmes kind of fit into it the humour of it aye. he's always got a he's definitely always got a strong vein of humour going through aye. his films like. like Henry Cavill plays kind of stereotypical post um, World War 2 secret agent and yeah. then Army Hammer's a kind of KGB Army Hammer's class in it 
I was always because uh, Ar- Army Hammer's always been a question mark for me. Yeah, no, see, I I loved Army Hammer, and I was just like, disgusted that a star vehicle was Lone Ranger, which just blew up in his face because I think he's a very talented actor. Well, actually, he, no, he's he's good in Social Network. Brilliant, and hopefully this will act as like as a, a second coming. Does anyway? I I I really enjoyed him. The whole the whole synopsis for the film is you know they're searching for this Nazi scientist who was brought back to America to try and you know build nuclear weapons and then he's hired by these Italians to you know build a nuclear weapon for them <laughs> uh, so it's like a double uh, agent sort of thing uh, so it involves the CIA and KGB working together in order to get get this scientist and there's a whole lot of the narrative uh, Henry as a cable or cable cable no, I don't, I don't want to get cable. that wrong and, and, and add another fucking tally to me <laughs> there. but uh Henry Cavill and uh, Army Hammer are they like is that the whole point a lot of the humour is the fact that they hate each other but they have yeah. to work with each other alright cool so I, I also heard Hugh Grant makes a good appearance aye he looks very old in it well not as old I mean, yeah, I mean he's can't still, be that charming forever uh, but well no he's no, still, he's still a, a delight same when he's getting blowjobs from Punisher it's like what's saying that's beside the point Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, would you not get a blue job from prostitute? I mean, yeah. why, why, why you get a prostitute? Like, <laughs> I mean, if you're it's hiring a prostitute, like, I mean, oh, are you not getting a blue job? You know, what do you but do? But you Grant, you can pull. But what if he doesn't want to pull? He should have to pull. Why does it? Well, if he, if he just, if he just fancied a blue job. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Continue your recommendation, man. So overall, I thought it was a classy film. You know, it's entertaining. You know, funny. Had a good, good action on it. Excellent. Happy Chad. My recommendation for this week is uh, the last detail. Talked about Hal Ashby a good lot of weeks ago. So he's probably one of the most underrated directors ever. It's uh, Jack Nicholson. I think it's nineteen seventy four. It's about three, or sorry, two Marines who have to take a normal Marine to a military prison because he's going to be court martialed. But they take him through New York City, and they kind of almost uh, relate him because they know like how hard it is being a Marine and the kind of solitary life that they li- that they love. So they show him this good time in New York City, and they they actually like kind of have a bond during it. It's just a really nice film. I always say this every single fucking time, but especially with Hal Ashby films, it does act as a bit of a time capsule of New York at the time and, and sort of like just where the world was going and there was a lot of cynicism and you can tell that through Jack Nicholson's character who's one of the most cynical men you'll ever see in your life. Is he the person being court-martialed no, or one of the Marines? He's, he's one of the ones ticking the boy to be court-martialed. Uh, actually, the, the boy who's going to be court-martialed is that young Randy Quaid who has since went mental. But... Uh, <laughs> But, Don't uh, you talk about Randy Quaid like that? <laughs> but uh, for me, and I mean, his career is littered with phenomenal performances. I still, it's my, I wouldn't, I think it's his best, but it's it's definitely my favorite Jack Nicholson performance. Mm. He is on fucking fire, and that I think it's just after Chinatown. Really, really interesting film. Really funny as well because his character is not only deeply cynical, but he's he's unintentionally funny. Uh, definitely give it a watch and just again like we were saying uh, about Bully Wilder just watch all of Hal Ashby's songs because he's lethal okay and we'll wrap it up there folks thank you so much for listening if you want to get in contact with us you can find us on Facebook Let's Talk More Movies podcast you can find us on Twitter at Talk More Movies or you can email us Let's Talk More Movies at gmail.com you can also leave us comments reviews rate us at on iTunes, Stitcher, and also ACAST, where you can get interactive show notes and links. Ooh. Best place to listen to this. Playing us out is Ryan Scruff McGargle on the banjo. As usual. Is 
This is going to be a four-hour epic. <laughs> it's going to be heaven's good old Liam. <laughs> I have been your host, Michael Breslin. Hari has been Hari. Shanko has been Shanko. Dominic Phelan. Thank you for having me. Ryan Scott McGargle playing us out. Thanks, thanks for having me. Uh, Episode 17. Come on, bitches! Just all get a hell yeah, man. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.